Why, hello, boys and girls. This is Tim Ferriss. Welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show. This is an edition, a special edition of The Random Show with my close friend Kevin Rose, well-known investor, serial entrepreneur, and all-around good guy who's my friend. And we have an important preface, an important caveat, an important disclaimer before we get started. And here it is, provided from my lovely lawyers. Here we go. I am not an investment advisor, nor is Kevin Rose. All opinions are mine alone or his. There are risks involved in placing any investment in securities or in Bitcoin or in cryptocurrencies or in anything. None of the information presented today or really anytime, since you might be listening to this anytime, is intended to form the basis for any offer or recommendation or have any regard to the investment objectives, financial situation, or needs of any specific person. That includes you, my dear listener. So, Everything you're going to hear is for informational entertainment purposes only. And with that said, please enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon is a brand new cereal that I eat just about every day that is low carb, high protein, and zero sugar. I just ate a huge bowl of their cocoa flavor about an hour ago after a short workout. Magic Spoon cereal has received a lot of attention since launching last year. Time Magazine included it in their list of best inventions of 2019, and Forbes called it the future of cereal. It tastes just like your favorite sugary cereal from childhood, remember that? But it's actually good for you. Each serving has 11 grams of protein, 3 grams of net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and only 110 calories. It's also gluten-free, grain-free, keto-friendly, soy-free, and GMO-free. All the things. It's delicious. And I don't say that lightly because most of this healthy version of X stuff is not delicious, but these guys really nail it. Magic Spoon has nailed it. It comes in your favorite traditional cereal flavors like cocoa, frosted, and blueberry. You can try them all by grabbing a variety pack at magicspoon.com slash Tim, or you can just grab a box or a bunch of boxes. I'm going to order some more today of the cocoa, which is my personal favorite. But there's a new contender for favorite flavor because they just launched two limited edition flavors, honey nut and peanut butter, which are delicious. I am a sucker for peanut butter and uh, it is outstanding. So I think cocoa and peanut butter are my two new favorite flavors. And fun fact, my friends are also obsessed with Magic Spoon. One of the podcast's most popular guests, Dr. Peter Atia, routinely crushes six to seven servings at a time. That's a lot. With no glycemic response. He's looked at this with a glucometer. He likes it so much he invested. Other friends, two very fine gentlemen and also past podcast guests, Kevin Rose and Ryan Holiday, also invested. So check it out. See what the buzz is about. Go to magicspoon.com slash Tim and grab a variety pack or cocoa, which is my favorite, or anything else. But see what strikes your fancy. Why not? Try a variety pack and be sure to use code Tim at checkout. My listeners, that's you. Get free shipping and a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you're not a fan, if you don't love it, they'll give you a full refund, no questions asked. Again, check it out, magicspoon.com forward slash Tim. That's magicspoon.com forward slash Tim. Take a look. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. When you're running your own business, it's easy to get weighed down by work that doesn't get you paid. That's why I love FreshBooks and have been recommending them for years on this podcast. It's an all-in-one accounting and invoicing solution built for small business owners like you. I've polled tons and tons of my listeners and readers who have brought up FreshBooks over and over again, and you guys have better things to do, so do I, than get caught up in admin work. 
Whether you're a podcaster or a creative agency, you can choose a plan that's right for you. FreshBooks has been used by more than 24 million people, and it can save you more than 11 hours a week by automating invoices, expense tracking, online payments, and so much more. Easy to understand reports and an intuitive dashboard let you know at a glance where your business stands. You can create, customize, and send branded and professional looking invoices in about 30 seconds. You can also avoid that awkward exchange with your clients about overdue payments. FreshBooks automates sending late payment email reminders and allows you to send a customized message on your behalf. FreshBooks is a simple and intuitive tool for small business owners. But if you ever need a bit of help wrapping your head around something, they have an award-winning Toronto-based support team who are always happy to help. So try FreshBooks free for 30 days. No credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash Tim and enter Tim Ferriss in the how did you hear about us section. That's freshbooks.com slash Tim and enter my name, Tim Ferriss, two R's, two S's in the how did you hear about us section. One more time, that is freshbooks.com dot com slash Tim. Optimal minimal. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Can I answer your personal question? Now what is it in the time? What if I did the opposite? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. Welcome to another episode of The Random Show. This is episode number 7,496. Kevin Rose. <laughs> Correct. It is good to see you, my friend. You too, it's, you too. It's been too long. When was the last time we actually saw each other in person? You were oh in Portland. God. It would have been in Portland 100 years ago because it was simultaneous with a, I think it was Acro Love Festival where you had hundreds of people just smothering each other with body contact, one another with body contact. So that is a pre-COVID activity. Yes. This is probably a year and a half ago, huh? It's been about that long. Yeah. It's crazy. It's sad. It is. It's it's wild. And what what uh I'm reassured to see is you have your your Japanese podcasting robe on and you seem to have new I, eyeshadow arm mascara, which really <laughs> brings out your eyes. Nicely. It's called it's called five hours of sleep, dude. It's called it's called babies. Is what it is. <laughs> well, I like it. You're converging with the raccoon gods that you upset yeah. so long ago by tossing one of their brethren downstairs. For people who want that security footage, you can search Kevin Rose Raccoon and it'll pop. You're right determined up. to make that like what's on my grave, like what I'm best known for is the raccoon your, toss. Your Wikipedia legacy. Well, I want it in the first right. paragraph. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we we shared a Google spreadsheet that you created beforehand of things we might talk about. I'm sure we'll talk about all sorts of stuff. Where do you want to start, man? Yeah, I mean, we can start with the Bitcoin stuff because you were super excited about that, which is odd because you're typically not like the biggest. I, I'd never seen you as like a hardcore crypto guy. I would definitely not self-described as a hardcore crypto guy at all. I just happened to have this combination of ignorance and laziness, which led me to hold on to the Bitcoin that I had. Oh, so you're so, stoked. That's why. I'm yeah. like, why is Tim so excited about this? Because you have a boatload yeah. of money right now. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's a boat <laughs> I, if, if it's a boatload, but I've I've held on to it. I mean, look, anyone who is holding, just to put a timestamp in this, it's January eighth, twenty twenty one. Bitcoin, I believe for the first time ever, just crossed $40,000 per Bitcoin. It was 41 so anyone, this morning, yeah. Yeah, so anyone who has ever bought Bitcoin 
to the unexamined or unexamining eye looks like a complete genius, right? But it's not possible that everyone bought Bitcoin for the right reasons or through the right process. But nonetheless, here we are, and it's exciting to watch, even if it may implode. And people are drawing comparisons and certainly pointing out the differences between 2017 and now, where we saw this huge spike several years ago and then a consequent crash. Now, I should point out- that's happened several times now. It's happened several times. And I should also point out that I got into crypto in a meaningful way right before that crash in 2017. So if I had consequently sold all of it, I would have done so at a pretty massive loss. And I was like, well, look, I'm playing with house money in the sense that I can afford to lose whatever I am putting into crypto. So I'll just hold on to it. And the premise the premise that I used or the set of assumptions I used to get into crypto ended up being totally wrong in a lot of ways, at least in the sense that I was investing in crypto as a as a hedge specifically against, say, a huge drop in the stock market since I had a few different pending IPOs and so on uh, with, with this is like angel pre, investments. pre-Uber IPO, basically. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so I made a, a, a bunch of very tenuous leaps of faith in my logic to look for different ways to, to hedge against the possibility that a market collapse could drag Uber down with it, right? So nothing stock specific, meaning nothing Uber specific in that case. And I mean, you literally could have just hedged the market though at the same time. Right? Yeah, I mean, look, you could, there, you could, I could have hedged the market. I don't know much about shorting or hedging or anything like that. And uh, when I looked at it, even in any cursory way, looking at the stuff that's allowed, no gray hat stuff, it seemed very expensive to do it effectively. And so I decided to become involved with crypto also because if you're in certain social circles with certain very smart people, yourself included, uh, I mean, you've, you've played a lot in the crypto sandbox, so I want to hear from you more than me. It's easy to get intoxicated and it's easy to kind of walk into this reality distortion field where you're like, you know, the world is going to Mad Max in the next 48 hours and crypto will be all that survives. I'm not saying that's your argument, but the the point I wanted to make is that if you look at the timeline, so 2017, boom, right? The sort of tulip bulb craze of crypto at the time, sort of tanks, or at least uh, Bitcoin. And uh, this time around with COVID, a lot of uh, Bitcoin bulls and so on were expecting that Bitcoin would would be inversely correlated with these crashes and it would right. shoot through the roof. But that's not what happened. Right. Um, not what happened with gold either. And I think what was underestimated was how many people would need cash, right? And when you need cash, you sell whatever you happen to have. And if, uh, if you have, for instance, as a lot of people got themselves into trouble by borrowing against assets, so they took out, say, lines of credit based on the value of their stocks. And then when the stocks cratered, those all got called and, you know, bankers and everyone else calling up, you know, Joe Smith, like, hey, Joe Smith, we want all our money right now. And they had to sell anything they could sell that was liquid. And yeah. that would include a lot of crypto. So it took a few months for crypto to recover to pre-COVID, whereas gold kind of took off immediately after COVID. It did drop 
in the very short term, like the kind of early March to early April, and then kind of pick yeah, back it, up. It wasn't a big run up though. We never saw kind of massive like the crypto like gains that we've seen with Bitcoin, right? Gold's gold's picked yeah. up a bit, but not not a ton. No, no, not that much. And I'm I'm referring to GLD specifically for people interested. But uh, what are what are your thoughts right now on? All this cryptomania. I mean, uh, there are differences, huge differences between right now and 2017. Namely, the entry of, or at least one of them, is the entry of institutional investors. And yes. just a few months ago, Paul Trudeau Jones and some other legends kind of dipping their toe in the water and beginning to make some allocations in their portfolios. Uh, fund portfolios, which is a big difference, not just personal. I believe that's true. Uh, somebody can fact check me. But uh, what do you make of all this? This is a terrain that you're much more familiar with than, yeah. than I am. Uh, he, he's, my, my take is that it, it, with any new, crazy, wild idea come just a ton of skeptics, as, as there should be. And when Bitcoin was was first launched and we were all playing around with the the very early wallets and I remember just buying coins and picking them up and I wasn't really early, early, like I wasn't, you know, in the pennies, but I was buying them around 10, $12 a coin, something like that. And, you know, it was, it was the wild west. It was very difficult to do anything, to, to buy crypto, to, um, you know, we were all setting up mining rigs back then and trying to mine our own Bitcoin. And then eventually pools came out so you could join in with other people to do it more efficiently but this is fresh new technology that hadn't been hammered and beaten on. And so, you know, anytime there's something that is directly linked to your finances, uh, it takes years or decades for people to get comfortable with a new emerging technology to where they'll commit any serious capital to that technology. So I think largely what we're seeing here is, well, one, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of stimulus money hitting the market. There's a lot of people buying on Square Cash app. There's, you know, it's, it's much easier to purchase Bitcoin than it has ever been. You know, it used to be you have to go to some shady exchange somewhere, hold up a picture of your driver's license with like literally your like date written underneath it to make sure it was you. Like shady stuff that I've been on some of the exchanges. My identification has since been hacked on many of these exchanges. Thankfully, I don't live at any of those addresses that I had those IDs I was holding up in front of the camera, but I do get text messages of people trying to fish me all the time, like trying to like get me to That's like- so creepy. It's so crazy. Creepy. It happens at least twice a week. It's insane because my, my information is out there. So whatever. But uh, the point being is that it was extremely difficult to purchase Bitcoin. And now, you know, PayPal came online just a couple months ago and is offering the ability to purchase Bitcoin and Ethereum directly inside of PayPal. Like, it's just insane how easy this is now. So you're unlocking massive customer bases, like hundreds of millions of users with PayPal. You know, Square Cash is the, I think, the second or third largest buyer now of, of Bitcoin. Um, that this cash is on the retail exploded. side, right? This is just on the retail side. Yeah, so it, that's not even talking about the institutional money going in, right? So you know, I work at True Ventures, venture capital firm, several billion dollars under management. We have positions in Bitcoin. You know, we've been doing that for a while. So when you, know, you say you guys have positions in Bitcoin, that means you've invested in startups that focus on Bitcoin? No, that means or, we actually own Bitcoin. How does that work? As a venture capital fund, you're operating the uh, private endowment? Yeah, or? I mean, every fund is a little bit different. You know, in our specific case, there we have allocated as part of our 
you know, formation documents for the fund, a certain percentage of the fund can be in cryptocurrency or cryptocurrency related companies. So we can say, I, I'm just throwing out a random number here. I, I'd have to go look at the doc, see what the actual number is, but let's just say 10, 15% of the fund overall fund size, you know, we have $600 million plus fund. That's, you know, that you can only invest that much from this specific fund into cryptocurrency. And so, you know, if we're going to go into and do a purchase Typically, dollar cost average your way in over a couple months and 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 buy in and in a place that that has really strong security. Like we don't hold this ourselves. It's not at our office. Like you're using like there's there's big financial houses like Fidelity and Coinbase Custody and others that now provide these types of services. You don't just have a bunch of hardware wallets sitting in your jacket pocket. Yeah, it's uh, right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just in my house. Um, no, I don't. I actually, I don't. I don't mess with that stuff anymore. I used to have wallets, and I actually had a laptop that I would. I bought specifically for cryptocurrency, and I wanted to keep it in cold storage. Meaning that I back in the day when I was doing the craziest like coins that you've never heard of on these weird exchanges, I, I went out. I bought a laptop. It was an Apple. Hooked it up to the internet. Did all the software updates like just put the wallets on there, transfer the funds, and then immediately powered it down so that it wouldn't be online anywhere, hackable, and then put it in a safe. And like, that was the way I kept my cryptocurrency. <laughs> it's crazy. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. But, but yeah, so there's been enough time has gone on. This current run-up though is just nuts. I mean, the, the thing you have to do with all these things is just don't look at the the last three months because it looks like a decent graph. And you're like, oh, that looks reasonable. Maybe I should buy some. Like, <laughs> zoom out the to the year. five. Yeah, yeah. Zoom out to the five year view, the 10 year view. Like, that's when you see really what's happening here. And it's it's not even like a hockey stick. It's like, it's it's even more, it's like insane how the run up has been. And so I get nervous when you see, you know, it's it's always a, a good tell around, well, in this case, it was like the the virtual. Uh, Christmas or Thanksgiving dinner when uncle Harry is asking you if they should be buying Bitcoin. Like that's when I like my, my spidey sense tingles a little bit and be like, huh, everybody wants this now, you know? And there's, it's just, if, if I were going to enter the market now, I would do it in a way that is you pick the dollar amount. Let's say it's a thousand dollars and this is not investment advice. I'm just telling you what I would do. Pick a thousand dollars, and I'd say, okay, I want to own Bitcoin. I believe in the future of Bitcoin. I think this isn't going away, which is all those things are true, and they are things that I believe. Uh, it's a proven technology now. Let's take that thousand dollars and invest it over six months, and so just divide it up by six, and then just do those. I'll say the first of every month, and just go in. No, doesn't matter what the price is. You don't care. You just buy that set amount, and that way, you know, at least you're averaging your way in over over six months. How do you personally think about crypto? for yourself as part of your portfolio or percentage of your total. I mean, you're kind of famous for telling, tell, not famous. Well, you're famous to me for telling me when I should buy stuff and then not telling me when you've sold stuff, <laughs> uh, which I, pre, which I appreciate. Uh, so, I love that uh, call by the way. You're like, are you still holding this? I'm like, no, I sold it for like a 10 X like six months ago. And you're like, I'm down <laughs> or something bad will happen. And you'll, you'll have been screwed <laughs> yep. by the fact that we didn't talk. Yep, that happens with some fair frequency. But uh, what is uh, what what is your current thinking in terms well, of crypto? I, honestly, are you, are think, you steering clear? Do you do you do you still have a certain position? Is it an investment for you? Is it an an insurance policy for you? Some people have drawn that distinction, just sort of philosophically, as looking at cryptocurrency as an insurance policy I th I or think a hedge. That, I think that over time, as 
Well, a few things. One, let's just talk about the ecosystem in general. I think that 99% still today of the coins that you see on the market out there are just garbage. I think a lot of them, and it's hard for them really to go away. They just, the volumes of, of the volume and trades that happen just decrease over time, but they still have these, you know, somewhat impressive looking market caps just sitting out there very stagnant developers kind of drop off. It's just kind of like they're, they're left for dead, but they're still around. So there's a lot of that, a lot of interesting in, innovation happening in the kind of decentralized finance space. So they call it like DeFi. It's mostly happening on, on Ethereum. There's a handful of projects where I say that's really interesting. It's almost like an, an angel investment now. I want to hold some of that, but with the understanding that this could go to 10% of the value it is today. And so extremely high risk but you know still has the ability to have a, a 50x upside right so or at least a 20 or 30x upside if you just look at the market cap of, of bitcoin today there's not another 20 or 30x anytime soon coming to coming to bitcoin it's just too big right like the market cap is just too large you'd be why do you now what how do you come to that conclusion well i mean first of all there, there's a few ways you can do it i think that you just have to look at the market cap in general which i don't have in front of me right now but i can I can type it in. The other thing is just look at the proxies for this. So like, what is the market cap of gold, right? Of all gold out there. And it's in the trillions. Uh, let me see here. If uh, uh, I did this the other day. So Bitcoin right now, the market cap is 82.49 billion. So, you know, where would we be at if that's a, a 10 X from now? Like, I mean, that's just insanity. That's, that's, I can't imagine that happening anytime soon. It would just now be that's insane because of the because, comparables that you might put next yeah, to it. Like I gold. mean, Apple is worth 2 trillion. Right. And yeah. so, you know, you just kind of have to, and I know it's not the same in that we're not talking about corporations here with, with, you know, cash flows and PEs and things that we would typically use to, to, to value a company that that is not this, the closest proxy that I think most people draw the comparison to is to just gold. You know, what, what is, how much gold has been mined? How much is, do we believe is there in the, in the earth? What are people holding for an investment? How much of it is actually being worn? Like there's a lot of other ways. So there is a lot of potential upside in, in, in Bitcoin, but I don't think, you know, for me, I, it's not that I wouldn't hold it. I would definitely hold it. I think it's going to be a rocky, bumpy ride given the run-up that's had recently. Like it's been forever. Like this has always been the case of Bitcoin. It's been very bumpy, but the new low is higher than the last low. And it just continues to kind of, like it wouldn't surprise me to see this drop down to 25 or 30 again, but I don't think yeah. it's going to get back to 10. And there's just yeah. too many institutional buyers coming in. So I like it because there are a lot of governments, the U S included are probably one of the biggest offenders, just printing money right now. It's really hard to understand what the value of a dollar is or what it will be in the future. This is a fixed number of coins forever that will never change. It's universally accepted, you know, even more so every month all over the world. So it's it's kind of a, a global reserve currency that I I'm comfortable with, so I, I do like it for that. Um, now, but I think you, there's a lot you, of new interesting projects that are probably have more upside that also require more due diligence and expertise, right? Absolutely. Or attention to detail. So let's if we talk about Bitcoin, just to to continue on this thread, it's currently at let's just call it forty thousand dollars of Bitcoin, and 
you were saying, well, it, it's hard to see a 20x upside if we look at proxies or comparisons to gold, or certainly if we draw comparisons to Apple, although that's a little bit categorically, I guess, a, a different comparison. But if we're looking at certain trends or growth trends that have been accelerated thanks to or due to COVID, right? If we look at, say, Amazon or Shopify or Peloton, you know, companies that we're both quite familiar with and or investors in, a lot has been accelerated and the the growth trajectory of the graph has changed dramatically for for a lot of companies, SaaS companies, right? Adoption of remote work, et cetera. Could someone make an argument that that is why, in part at least, we are seeing this adoption of Bitcoin and that it is on some level reasonable? Or uh, I guess in your mind, when you're thinking of how much this price can be explained via factors, external happenings, storming the capital, <laughs> et cetera, certainly, you know, MMT and all this kind of stuff versus just pure mania, right? Because the the Bitcoin bulls will will sort of lay out uh, often regurgitated, but sometimes cogent arguments for why this is explainable and reasonable. Uh, and then the bears will say, here's the the tulip bulb craze of sure. such and such a year, and this is exactly what's happening. It's just pure mania. There's nothing to it besides greed and human psychology run amok. Where do you fall uh, in, in thinking about explaining the price? Because if you look at institutional adoption, we're still super early we are. in insti super early in institutional adoption. And uh, by institutional, I mean, there are wide ranges of institutions. And certainly, I think at the more conservative end, if we're talking about endowments and pension funds and so on, it's super early, not to mention sovereign wealth funds and so on, right? The really like gigantic kind of nation state players. So yeah, what do you think? I mean, it, from an institutional adoption perspective, it's super, super early. That does not mean, though, that the tiny amount of adoption up to this point, plus Square, plus PayPal have organically produced $40,000 per Bitcoin prices, right? Um, that's, a, that's a lot of word salad I just threw at your face via Zoom. Yeah, so I, maybe you can <laughs> speak to that. <laughs> well, I, I think that it is really hard if you look at the people that are actually looking at the blockchain and watching where assets are moving. Some promising and also some really scary things start to emerge. And so I, I think the, the promising side is just the average consumer now has access to purchase this with just a couple of clicks and Apple Pay and everything else. Like that's the ease of purchase is gone, as, as, as we mentioned earlier, it's just it's simple now. So that has unlocked certainly a lot of demand, especially around a hype cycle. We know about the institutional side. I agree with you that it's very early days there. And there's been several proposals and there are new ones out there for a Bitcoin ETF. I think that happens and we start seeing these appear in people's 401k accounts and things just go bonkers. The scary side of things is some of the price manipulation that's going on. And so, you know, there are ways to manipulate the price. And and this is well, I'll bring it up in in with the caveat that 
It's being talked about on the internet, so I'm bringing it up here. It is not my view that this is happening, but it is being talked on the internet, so it's worth mentioning. So I say that from a news perspective, not from an accusatory uh, perspective. And that is that there is- a lot of of preamble for Kevin Rose. Well, I'm just, I'm trying to say that because I don't want them to come after me and like just sue the shit out of me, basically. (laughs) (laughs) So- so there's there's a there's a stable coin out there. When I mean stable coin, for the, those people that don't know, there are a bunch of coins out there that you can hold as cryptocurrency that are pegged to an asset like a fiat asset that we know, which like say the U.S. dollar. So if you hold USDC is what it's called, the coin, and you hold one of those coins, it is worth one dollar, and that never changes. It's just pegged at that price. And so there are a bunch of these, and one of the larger ones is called Tether. And so Tether is, we don't have, well, here's the thing. There's been some analysis of some of these transactions. And Tether, if you can imagine, if you control and it is centralized, if you control, the way that Tether is supposed to work is this. If you send Tether $1,000, they issue you $1,000 worth of Tether coins, right? That makes sense. If you go to redeem them, they give you back the $1,000, right? And so it kind of grew and, well, I shouldn't say kind of grew. It's massive now. And Can, uh, Let me ask a novice question. What is the use case for that? Why would someone do that? They want a mobile, they want anonymized, stability. they want stability. Yeah, so imagine okay. you're sending uh, your aunt uh, in Costa Rica $100 and you want to make sure $100 gets there not $92 because Bitcoin dropped, you know, or, or maybe she'd like if it went up, but you know, it's like, it's, you need the stability and it can also be used for a whole slew of other things. They do lending with it where you can earn interest on it. That's what a lot of the decentralized finance comes from anyway. So a tether coin, for example, is, is one of the first ones, one of the first stable coins, and it has a $23.93 billion market cap. Now there are currently some ongoing investigations into what's going on behind the scenes at Tether because there are some allegations that they're just issuing new Tether and buying Bitcoin without there being the reserve USD to actually back it up. So there's been a handful of articles. You can search Tether, whatever you want to call it, like scandal or whatever you may be into Google News. And you'll see that people are looking at this and saying, huh. And, and there's several organizations, like government organizations that are looking at this and they're saying, okay, we need to peer inside here and make sure everything is kosher because if it's not, they could be just propping up the Bitcoin market and buying Bitcoin with fake minted tether of stable coins. And if that's the case and that comes out, that's going to be a shit show for a few days. Hmm. It's the best now, way I could describe do you, it. Do you think, yeah, that's probably a, a Worst fair kind of description, show. the shit show. Uh, do you think not knowing anything about it, that they have sufficient volume to prop up, so to speak, the Bitcoin price or to inflate it? Well, I mean, just to give you a sense, in the last 24 hours, they've done 114.31 billion in volume. It's heavily used on, on some exchanges. Some exchanges won't touch it. There, there's, yeah. some, there's some exchanges that you, won't even, you can't even purchase Tether if you wanted to. Um, Mm. so it is the one piece that I look at and I just say, ah, gosh, I don't like where this is trending. And some of the people that are looking into this, this could really put a big black eye on the market. It doesn't mean that Bitcoin is a fraud. It has nothing to do with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a legitimate technology that works well. It's well secured. 
It's been hammered on. Like there's, right. I, it doesn't mean, this doesn't mean Bitcoin goes away, but it does mean that it if there's spook the, spook the hell out of lots of people, it spooks the hell out of a lot of people. Way. And it also shuts down ETF talks and all those other things, because a lot of the reasons why these ETFs for Bitcoin aren't being approved is because of these claims of this type of market manipulation. So it's, uh, but to, to your earlier ask around, like, what do you, how do you think of this when it comes to portfolio construction? And again, I'm a venture capitalist, not a registered investment advisor. This is not a financial advice. But for me personally, I think informational purposes only. This yeah, is informational exactly. and entertainment purposes if, if only. Tim says it. <laughs> oh, you bastard. <laughs> That's not cut, true. You're going to cut that you, out. You rat uh, bastard. Just a quick thanks to one of our sponsors, and we'll be right back to the show. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is the best version of LinkedIn for sales professionals. Get ready to exceed your 2021 sales goal with the help of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. That's what it's built for. The best salespeople know that closing deals is about understanding your customers' needs and building relationships. It's time to reimagine in-person selling and cold calling for the digital world. Nowhere is this more true in post-COVID. So tap into the power of LinkedIn's 700 million plus member network. LinkedIn Sales Navigator gives you 20 monthly in-mail messages, lead recommendations, unlimited searches, actionable insights and news, and access to free courses on LinkedIn learning. Target the right prospects and decision makers, unlocking 15% more pipeline from sourced opportunities, a 17% lift when saving leads on Sales Navigator, and 42% larger deal sizes. As the world adapts to new working habits, sellers must also shift tactics to stay ahead. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is here to help sales professionals do exactly that. So start your 60-day free trial. That's a two-month free trial of LinkedIn Sales Navigator today by going to linkedin.com slash navigator. That's linkedin.com slash navigator, N-A-V-I-G-A-T-O-R, to start your 60-day free trial of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more time, linkedin.com slash navigator. So basically... I would say for me personally, I think, okay, maybe up to 5% of my overall portfolio and consider it super high risk. But I like your strategy, Tim. It's like you, it's kind of one you have to take with cryptocurrency. If this gets cut in half or cut in three quarters, you just have to say, ah, okay, bad day, bad week, bad month, and just ride it out for the next 10 years because you know, in 10 years, it will bounce back and the returns were going to look better than ever. So, you know, that's kind of how you have to play it. Yeah, and it's a it's a test of conviction and process, also, right? In the sense that uh, I've been talking to you know friends and like you, sort of the kind of Uncle Harry equivalents are like, I want to put money into Bitcoin and Ethereum, and I'm, and I'm like, can you tell me what Bitcoin is? And they can't even hazard a guess. It's just something that's going up in value very quickly, right. and the sort of observation I've made, because usually, is your uncle actually Harry? I don't want to throw this guy under the no, bus. That's no. made up. Okay, it's good. Up. Okay, so, so, okay, so Uncle Harry usually will have a story that is something like this. My friend Bob has invested in crypto, and over the last seven months, he's made, let's just make up a number, you know, $500,000. And my question is always, did he sell all of his Bitcoin and pull out $500,000? And the answer is no. And my my follow-up to that is, well, it all looks good on paper, but 
if it's not enough to just buy something that is going up in value, unless you believe it's going to go up in value indefinitely, you also have to have a plan for if and when you are going to sell that asset and redeem. Now, some pure believer or true believers would say you never sell Bitcoin. And that's one option. But right. unless unless you have deliberately, conscientiously decided that and you have that as a bulletproof, emotion-proof strategy, you sure as hell better have a plan for if and when you are going to redeem to some type of fiat. And if you don't have a defined time horizon, the likelihood of you losing money because you sell in a panic when it plummets is pretty goddamn high. Um, That's so why I, I like the lower percentage points of your overall portfolio, because it has to be money that doesn't matter. So you can hold it for the long term if you want to do hold it for the next 20 years. But I guess what you're saying is it does get to meaningful money at some point, right? Because naturally, yeah. if it if it does 5x from here or 10x from here then it's going to be no longer 5% of your portfolio, right? So in, yeah. in that case, like I would force myself to every year or every other year just rebalance. So like now, if, do you do you actually do that though because 100%, there are 100% you do. I did it with now, Peloton. Okay. All right. So you so now you would do that regardless of the the duration of holding that investment or do you wait for long, long-term cap gains, right? I mean, like, is I would, there, I would wait for long-term cap gains unless it is something just absolute bonkers. So if okay. it's, if it's absolute bonkers and you're just like, I mean, look at Tesla right now, just like, look at that yeah. chart, click on the five year and, and, and your Apple stocks app it's, it's, yeah. it's just like the, you're like, how is it not bending over? I feel like fall, it should fall backwards. It's going so hot. Like it's, 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 it's ridiculous. And, and so you, if you, I'm, if I'm holding short-term cap and gains there, I'll I take just the want to point out that you're also, you are also a lover of Tesla products, right? So like, you're not oh, saying yeah. this is as a Tesla hater, you love their stuff. Well, I have, I have, listen, I have two Teslas. They're fantastic vehicles. They're, they're my yeah. favorite. I, I have a truck on order. I can't yeah. wait to get that thing. And uh, yet when it's a straight line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where if it is getting an outsized percentage of your portfolio, then it just, it's absolutely smart to, and, and I kind of have this thing where, I mean, we talked about, I think you and I is, traded some texts on this, but we talked about just like your overall mixture of, of assets and everything that you have kind of put together. Like what is your allocations for multiple things look like? And I'm, most of my stuff is just fully diversified, set it and forget it forever. Like Wealthfront style, just put it in there and have it be fully diversified and safe. And then I have a category that is like, let's just call it 25% of my overall assets that'll say, these are 5X capable stocks or greater. And those, I know they're super risky. Well, somewhat risky and they have real cash flow and all that, but I'm, I'm going to invest in those. And I'll put like, you know, Pelotons in that kind of camp some of the more riskier stuff like the Neos, like the, the Chinese Tesla, you know, a few other things that I've bought over the last few couple of years. So, you know, it, it, but then, then always going and pruning and readjusting and saying, oh, actually my 5X stocks are now 40% of my portfolio. Let's trim that back to 25. Yeah, I appreciated your strong buy recommendation on Pornhub. That was, uh, that was genius. Well, you're, co you for that. you're, you're co-owner now, which is <laughs> odd, but it's, it's your thing. The acro yoga. I'm on the team. I'm on the team tab. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, the mass free, head. Free premium for the next two months. Use code Tim Tim. Tim Tim Kev Kev. I really That's hope a, they make that code. That would be that fantastic. Is a, that is a joke, people. Joke, joke. Joke, joke, Kev Kev. Uh, now, I had a follow-up to that. Oh, the follow-up was really more a commentary because I, I think some people will be very interested in this conversation and others will will find it uh, inside baseball or just they'll think that it's kind of uh, rarefied air investment talk. And I would on on one level agree with that and on one level disagree with it because we're sitting here at the beginning of 2021. 2020 has been such a fascinating and punishing laboratory for looking at the consequences of good and bad decisions. And there are many places where it's difficult in many ways to quantify those upsides and downsides and risks, certainly with COVID, with certain information available, other information unavailable or pending. It's been challenging, but one of the playing fields in which you can look at decision-making as sort of a, a microcosm of the macro, right? Like you get to see how decision-making that transcends investing shows itself with stocks, crypto, whatever it might be, right? In other words, if you are able to observe and hone your decision-making with even very small investments, I believe that that transfers into, if you're, if you're self-aware, that can transfer into better decision-making in other areas, right? Because we're all investors of time, energy, capital, and you can choose to become better at those things or you can remain blissfully unaware, but one way or another, you are making decisions about investment every day. So that's that's another reason why I've paid attention to this a lot in the last year. I mean, I think there have been some incredible opportunities also in, in the last 12 months, but uh, more than that, it's just a lens through which you can look at how rational you are, how subject to emotional swings and corresponding bad decisions you are. And it tells you a lot about how you might make decisions or more concretely make rules for yourself in 2021. So can so you give you, me an example of that? Like, I'm really curious, yeah, like outside of yeah. finance, how have you applied this to other areas of your life? Well, uh, so for instance, in, in 2020, one of the biggest lessons uh, or takeaways that I had for myself in investing, then I'll talk about how I would apply that, is that <laughs> this is going to sound so rudimentary, but you know, I, I've, I've been very lucky and also I think very good at picking things to invest in over time, right? If you just look at the last 10 years, 12 years, net net things have worked out pretty well. And there are a lot of circumstances. There are certain trends that I accidentally took advantage of, some that I deliberately took advantage of, but blah, 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 blah. I'm pretty good at placing bets. I am very weak, I would say, on exit strategy and knowing when to get out of positions. And this past year, I realized that three years, looking at a three-year time horizon for anything publicly traded seems to be a incredibly comfortable for me 
in the sense that I can't predict what things are going to do what, what companies are going to do what in the next three months, six months. I have no fucking idea. No idea. Right. I mean, there are just so many curveballs that can be served to any company. Mm-hmm. Five years, I mean, geez, five years. Now we're talking about like Google starting to usurp Yahoo, right? I mean, that's like a long enough period of time, especially with exponentially developing technologies that five years is very hard to call. But like three years, if I'm looking at certain types of companies that I feel like I understand pretty well, Amazon, Shopify uh, would be two examples. I think Spotify also. Um, I'm investors in all of those. For, and again, this is not investment advice. I don't know how many times we have to say this to cover our asses, <laughs> but this is, uh, you know, your mileage may vary. And I only invest in things that I feel like I, I really, really understand deeply. Yeah. And I'm the same way. Yeah. So three years, I'm looking at certain trends. I have an audience, fortunately, and a lot of friends who are kind of the tip of the spear with early adoption. Not all of those things work out, but when you see then it begin to kind of hop, like hop the fence from say my friends or my audience to people one degree removed, I'm like, okay, that, that I think is worth paying a lot of attention to. So that is, that has been a, a new rule that I've established for myself specifically for uh, publicly traded equities. Yeah. And uh, the way that that's applied to my life more broadly, and we're gonna we're gonna don't worry, folks, we're gonna get to other points besides crypto and investing, is looking at you know doing a full review of 2020 and then looking forward to 2021, thinking out three years as opposed to just 2021, and thinking uh, about what types of sort of regularly occurring practices I want to have, and I can give some examples when we get into it, over a three-year period is is really calming for me. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. yeah, like 10 years, 10 years is kind of like, I don't know, man. I mean, there's just so much that could change. I mean, who knows if, you know, Calif- you know, if like Texas is going to secede along, like maybe Texas and Montreal will become sister cities and, you know, or whatever, sister yeah. provinces, and they'll secede from the nation. I'm, I'm, I'm being, um, you know, a bit ridiculous with that, but f- like 10 years is a long, long time and a lot can happen. Three years, uh, I just find that to be a very calm place for me when it comes to planning now, but also thinking about personal development and, uh, building a family and so on and so forth. So it's kind of like if you were to paddle out in the ocean at like a surf break, right? You would, you, you, when you first paddle out, let's just say it's a beach break for simplicity, like you're going to have to get through these, these first sets of waves and then you're going to have some calm and then you're going to get to like the outer breakers and you're going to be in the impact zone again. And it's going to be exciting, but it's also can be really stressful. And I find like three years for me is just kind of comfortably in between those two. Yeah. Yeah. I like what you said about also uh, doing these kind of thematic investing where you say, okay, I don't know. I, I like you, you just named off the exact same companies that I pay attention to around e-commerce because like, obviously we know e-commerce is, is well, it's more so online these days than ever, but it's still a fraction of in-person commerce, right? So if, if we believe that trend is going to continue, which it will, 
you know, who are the players in that space? And, and so rather than say, well, actually I think it's going to be Amazon and not Shopify or square, you know, it's like, I, I just would rather own the entire bucket. Right. So, yeah. you know, I, I go in, get Amazon, Shopify, square, um, PayPal. And I think that pretty much covers, you know, the future of payments. When I think about like mobile payments, and, and just happening on your phone. And eventually when Coinbase goes public, I'll probably pick some of that up as well. But like just having that and, and sitting on those and then just watching and, and kind of as leaders start to emerge, kind of dollar cost average in a little bit more to get a little bit more upside in the, in the clear winners, if there are going to be any, then that's, that's kind of what, what I've done uh, historically that's, that's proved to be pretty successful. Yeah, and it's, you know, we're talking about kind of pickaxes and shovels Right. I mean, in the sense that a lot of these companies, not all of them, uh, but a lot of these companies offer services that other companies capitalize on or other creators. And my choices also were based on different scenarios related to COVID. So I was like, okay, let's say COVID, like wave a magic wand, it gets solved tomorrow. But we were decimated, behaviors changed growth trajectories changed for, let's just call it uh, severely for like six to 12 months. Okay. What does that look like for an Amazon? What does that look like for Shopify? Okay. And then let's say COVID continues. Let's say there's a new strain and A, B, and C happens. And rather than best case, it's, it's, it's certainly maybe not worst case, but a terrible case. What does that look like for these various companies? Okay. And just came to the conclusion personally that in most scenarios you could play out as an exercise, these companies still seem to do well. And right. in the but case you also of, have to play out yeah. the other side too, right? Like what, what happens once the vaccine happens and COVID yeah. subsides, this is why I'm not holding Zoom right now. And Zoom may be a great, it's a great company, great product. We're using it right now, but it's like, it's, I, I just don't see you know, when people start to return to work, what gets hit the hardest. And and yeah. so that's, that's part of the reason why I mean, I missed out on a ton of upside with the climb of and rise of zoom, but it doesn't pass that post vaccine test. I want to, I want to have to believe in my heart of hearts that I will close my eyes and hold this thing for five years and, yeah. and before doing an investment. Otherwise it's just, yeah. it's just gambling at that point. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it depends on how you define your time horizon and if you have the skills and the emotional control or stoicism to be able to stick to your plan, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, one of the reasons I came to three years is again, five years, I just don't have confidence that I can look into the crystal ball and understand where technology is gonna be in five years. There are companies I expect will still be around, certainly, but let's just take in the case of Spotify, for instance. You know, I looked at Spotify really closely and I'm on Spotify, like I understand the technology, I use the product, I saw them investing incredibly heavily in non-music audio content. And uh, certainly at the top of that list in terms of their capital expenditures uh, would be podcasts. And you have Rogan, you've got all these different folks. And for Spotify compared to, say, Amazon, there are people who would argue that podcasts are an existential priority, right? Like they have to really heavily invest 
and be the A player high bidder for uh, a lot of this core talent and these teams who can create content because their economic model is in some uh, is in some respect dependent on the improved margins through non-music audio, right? right. Amazon sells everything, right? You <laughs> Amazon sells a million things. And Amazon Music and uh, you know the team who's on podcasts uh, with Amazon is a, is a fantastic team. Uh, but within Amazon itself, it's hard for me to, to imagine that that has the same level of urgency and priority that it would have for... Spotify, just given the range of options. Agree so with for that, me, but what about Apple? Yeah. yeah, Apple's huge, but Apple also is, I think, Apple's amazing. They have by far the most market share right now. And they're also, they have, I, I, would, I would expect, like certain constraints, right? Like I don't think they're going to pursue anything incorporating advertising models, at least not in the short term, right? They just haven't had a lot of luck with that. They don't seem inclined to pursue it. Also, again, just because the what is the lion's share of Apple revenue? I have to imagine it's hardware and Apple care and so on. I mean, the, the sort of incremental revenue ad is pretty nominal when it is compared to, say, Spotify, who is like, absolutely has to make this work. So for me, I'm like, all right, Apple, Amazon are going to be really deliberate. They're not going to rush. They have endless powder in the keg, right? Like they just have, once they find things that work, they can, they can make them ubiquitous. I think that's going to take time. Is it going to happen in one year? Maybe, but I think pretty unlikely which is why I think Spotify will continue, I mean, if I had to guess, to invest very heavily in trying to solidify their position as the go-to platform for sort of talent and content creation within the kind of predefined parameters of non-music audio. And so for that reason, this is not the only reason, but for that reason, also looking at potential upside, right? I mean, in the sense that like, if you want Amazon to double, what needs to happen for that to, for that to happen, right? Uh, and then if you look at Spotify, for Spotify to double, what might need to happen in order for that to be uh, the reward that the market and retail investors uh, sort of bestow upon it? And the answer is, I mean, I feel like a lot less needs to happen for Spotify, right? I, I'm not saying Spotify would ever do this, but like if Spotify were just to redomicile and avoid all of these various problems that they have with their current situation. Uh, not that they would do that, but like certainly there are steps they could take if they needed to that would dramatically change their financials. And again, what the hell do I know, right? Like I'm not an analyst, but... Uh, yeah, but this is your world though. I mean, podcasting is like, that's your DNA. So I feel like you would know yeah. a lot when it comes to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, and I also see, and you and I have texted about this where people you wouldn't have expected to use Spotify are now using Spotify. Yeah. Right. And it's made that hop over the fence in the United States, in yeah. Europe, the behaviors are very different, uh, in Spanish speaking countries and regions, 
Spotify is extremely dominant, it would appear, based on polling my own audience. And there's yeah, the, just a lot of room. There, there's a lot of room to grow. I think. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, I, I think Spotify is interesting from that standpoint. It is certainly it's a really crappy, razor thin margin business on the music side. Anytime they can get you anywhere away from one of the major labels, they're making money, right? Because yeah. you're pay, you're paying that fifteen dollars a month or whatever it is twelve dollars a month. Um, I just found out they have a. Uh, I downgraded from the family plan to the duo plan, which is just for two people. So my wife and I just use the duo plan and save my bucks, myself three bucks a month. Well done. Thank well you, done, Kevin. Thank you. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, so it's, it's a great product too. I, I love the technology. It I, is. I think that they yeah. have invested heavily on the kind of AI machine learning side of things to get recommendations better than anyone has, which is so key for music discovery. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan on that front as well. Yeah, um, and... I was going to say one more thing. Yeah. I was going to say one more thing on the finance side as well. (laughs) Well, Fire, fire, fire. We should close off finance and and move on because I know we had a few more topics to hit, but um, I spent a crap ton of time researching and doing my due diligence on the various uh, financial applications for tracking finances. So um, I just wanted to share this with people because I let my work uh, benefit you in some way. So, uh, you know, (laughs) I feel that what I've done is, is I, I, you know, all of us or most of us, we dabble in a bunch of things, whether it be cryptocurrency or a little bit of like, you know, E-Trade or whatever your brokerage is or Wealthfront or, you know, have a little bit of stuff here. You have a, maybe you have a home or not or a car payment or not. And I want a universal dashboard to bring all of that stuff together. It's like one place where you can see holistically what's going on with all of your finances everywhere, credit cards, all that stuff. And I've tried all of the stuff out there. Real quick, Quicken sucks. It's horrible. It doesn't work with like half the crap out there. It won't tie to Wealthfront. It won't tie to a bunch of stuff. Um, it's just horrible. So avoid that at all costs. Even though that's like the old school one, it sounds like, oh, maybe, maybe Quicken's better now. It's not better. It sucks. They, now, I, I have this theory that a bunch of the Quicken engineers got together and were like, yeah, this place kind of sucks, but let's go create a new product. So Quicken came out with a new product that is actually quite good. It, it, it says it's called Simplify. So it's simplifymoney.com, S-I-M-P-L-I-F-I. You can just Google it. Don't like try and spell that. Um, anyway, Simplify, <laughs> uh, from it's by the makers of Quicken. So I, it is actually a fantastic product, and it's somehow competing against Quicken, their own product, which is very weird. I think what happened is, as with any old piece of software, You've got an old school audience that's been baked in for decades that if you change any user interface element, they go apeshit and they freak out on you, right? Like that's the case with why all these software packages like Word and Excel and all these others, they just are turn, turn into bloatware. You know, you look at them and you're like, why so many icons? And it's because people will complain if you remove anything. It's always hard to take features out. Um, so this is just a really streamlined, beautiful, it's like three bucks a month. It's fantastic. Now, if you don't like this, one thing I do like about this, I'll just tell you one of the features I thought was really cool. And I use this, uh, for over the holidays, you know how like you, you go and you return something like you got a sweater, you return it, but you like never know if it really hits your account again. You don't pay attention. Like maybe it came, there's a way to say, I return this and notify me when I get the credit back or not. If the credit doesn't come back, like just some oh, really cool. like cool little features like that. So anyway, I was pretty impressed with it. It does link with a lot of the stuff. It's very confusing why it links with a lot of the places that Quicken doesn't, even though they're the same company. But anyway, that's that. I think personal capital though is the best one that's out there. Have you used personal capital before? 
No. Um, I don't use them on the investing side. Like I don't put my money with them because they also have like an investing thing. I use Wealthfront for that. But personal capital is in terms of the interface, the holistic interface to bring together all the accounts. It's completely free. You don't have to spend any money on it. And it kind of brings everything into one dashboard for you. So anyway, I, and I've looked at like 10 others that I won't even bore you with, but, but those are my, my picks for the show. Sweet. What, what now you are, how would I put it? You have a financial dashboard fetish. <laughs> like some people like tentacle porn. Some people, some like, people uh, shoes. like Japanese Japanese coffee, which you also like. But you have a financial dashboard fetish. So what I'm curious about is do you just does it just tickle your balls and you get a little feeling in your butterfly in your I wish we were having wine right makes, now. Makes you, yeah, it makes you really happy to look at this. Is it just like a Zen garden for you? Or do you actually learn anything? Does it inform your decisions? Has it changed how you behave in any way? It, it has, because what it does is it does a pretty good job at kind of categorizing everything that's going on in my life. And so it has a beautiful cash flow feature where I can see I've spent this much. This was my budget. And this is how much income I have coming in. So I like to kind of track that and watch the trends over time. And overall net worth is cool because it like lets you tie in your house in there, lets you put your cars in there, like anything else that you may have, any jewelry, anything. And you can kind of like watch as certain things appreciate or they don't and they go down. It's, it's just like, I like the idea of being able to pull all this stuff together into like one interface because if you think about, okay, now I got to go log into Coinbase and now I got to go log into Wealthfront and now I got to go log into my bank to see my checking account. Oh, and I have a credit card over at Chase and I have an Apple Pay card. And like, there's a bunch of stuff to check, you know? And and that means in, in terms of transaction, uh, transactions as well. I mean, I've caught some fraud on these and it alerted me to things where I was like, I didn't buy that. And I went and canceled a card. So just having a way that I can go and every couple of days just see that and just do a quick gut check, like, is everything sane here? It's nice. And there's no, I don't have to log into multiple places and it's, it's free. So I don't know. It's cool. So you avoid logging into multiple places by giving all of your login information to one entity, or is there some type of auth that allows you to circumvent that like yeah. ulcer producing centralization, which yeah, would so, make me nervous? Yeah. So Plaid is, it powers all of this on the back end. So Plaid is a company you, you may or may not have heard of. It was one that we invested in when I was at Google Ventures. They work with all the financial institutions to connect and provide data to apps like personal capital. So you're actually not sharing your login credentials with Plaid or with uh, personal capital. You're sharing them with Plaid. Plaid secures them. They issue like a token to personal capital. So personal capital never actually has your credentials. Um, and then they can view your data that through, through that one like secured vault. So it's, cool. It is nice like that. Yeah, I was worried about that as well. So to completely, so I'll add one more thing on the finance front, which is I am fucking tired of thinking about anything related to finance or investing. Or that's been you forever, uh, dude. Yeah, that's been you I know, for five years. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But especially, especially in the last, I would say, six to twelve months. So my one of my goals is to do as much possible in terms of batching activities or setting rules for myself, like strict rules, 
Like you can't eat bagels. I don't eat bagels anyway, although they're delicious, but like making very binary rules for myself because I think it is very easy. And if we look at just human behavior, I think it's it's very natural, but often harmful to one's health. If you have something that is moving up or down or up and down, if you have something easily quantifiable that to your mind seems like points on the scoreboard, whether positive or negative, it's really easy to spend a lot of time being distracted by these things and looking at these things. I'm thinking a lot more about energy management over the next year than time management. I, I feel like time management should be a downstream decision based on your energy management priorities and rules. And that is how I'm approaching it. So I am hoping to do effectively zero investing unless I have to make defensive moves or disaster befalls me, uh, which I hope will not be the case. So that is uh, all to say I kind of crammed a lot of decisions because as you know, Kevin, I was sitting on the sidelines since, mostly sitting on the sidelines since, I don't know, 2015, with the exception of that crypto position. And uh, I don't enjoy it in the same way that that some of my friends do and maybe you do, just the like the tracking of all of it. I think it's more, I feel like uh, it's kind of a, a leeching of energy for me, even yeah. though it is very addictive. So I'm I'm looking forward to doing things that have nothing to do with investing. And you know, we were talking about in prep for this conversation, talking about, or I guess in the in the Google spreadsheet, talking about this year, meaning 20, 2021, uh, New Year's resolutions last year. And I do every year for the last handful of years a past year review where I go through my calendar week by week from the previous year and look at the things that gave me the most energy, took the most energy. Some of them are worth it. Most of them are not. And trying to identify the kind of peak emotional uh, experiences, positive and negative, and who the people and activities are on both of those lists. So I'm sorry to say, Kevin, you ended up on my negative. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and that's how I then go through and look at scheduling things and spending time or not spending time with activities and people for the next year. And the most consistent energy giver was time in uh, nature and activities mm. in nature. And it's just part of the reason I was so thrilled, and we can kind of go in any direction, but to get as a gift this book, which is Of Wolves and Men, by Barry Holston Lopez. And it is probably the best nonfiction book I've read in the last five years. It is so cool, unbelievably good. And I have highlights on almost certainly in every chapter. And uh, it's just, I had to modify the way I highlighted because I highlighted so much. His writing is as crisp and clear as Michael Lewis. The structure of his writing is right up there with like John McPhee and the, the, the beauty of his prose and just the wordsmithing and use of metaphor mm. is right up there, I would say, with Mary Oliver. I was blown away. I kept stopping my friends and wanting to read them 
paragraphs and chapters, and they got pretty annoyed after a while. But it is a spectacular nonfiction book. Very and cool. Yeah, it. Uh, and you know, it's funny, Tim. I don't know if you remember telling me this, but you told me. I don't know, maybe was it six months ago? You were like, I'm not reading any new books. What was it? You were saying something yep. like that. What was the deal? Uh, yeah. So, well, for 2020, I read no books that were printed in 20, uh, that were published in 2020. So I was reading books, but I, I put up a blog post as a policy. And I think the title of the blog post was Making the Single Decision That Removes a Thousand Decisions. And that relates to the burden of getting hit up by hundreds of people a year who want me to read their books that are coming out, you know, a week later or two months later. Uh, and it, it's not that they're bad people, but they they very often have a book coming out. They want to be on the podcast, and I end up oftentimes, or I have ended up with just stacks of hundreds of books. And the fact of the matter is. We don't have that much time on the planet, you know, unless we figure out how to, you know, recycle, you know, 20-year-old blood like vampires like some people do, who shall not be named, or whatever, using fancy drugs, rapamycin, metformin, etc. Like maybe you get, you eke out a few more years. Okay, that's possible. But if I look at the average age of death of males in my family going back many generations, as far as I could like easily do the math, it's about 85 like it doesn't really matter what you do as long as you don't get hit by a bus or fall off a cliff like you're probably going to die around 85 so i'm 43 that means i've crossed the 50% mark i think it's helpful to just assume that and uh you can sit down and do the math like how many really good books do you read per year and people do the math and maybe they end up at 5 maybe they end up at 20 it's hard to read 20 amazing books unless you're really deliberate about it. You probably read a fair amount of garbage. So you figure out like, okay, this, you know, this book took me a long time to find and it was gifted to me. Even though it had been recommended many times, I still didn't read it. And you said a long time uh, to find, meaning you just hadn't heard of it or it's out of print? No, 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 it's not out of print. It's, it's uh, a long time to find. It took a long time for for it to happen, I guess is what I'm saying. It had been recommended many times, but we get bombarded with reading assignments all day long, right? Maybe it's just something on TikTok or Instagram or Twitter or whatever. Although I deleted all, all of Good. those from my phone. Same. I deleted, yeah, all of those have been deleted from my phone for about six months now, which is great. Uh, Wait, I saw you post on Instagram the other day. I, I didn't okay, see you post. Daria told me you did because I don't. I don't have it. Uh, I don't. I don't go on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. I do know. Um, no, no. She, she so, told me because you, you posted our <laughs> chocolate bar that we got you. I did. Yeah. So I have a workaround. So the way that I post to Instagram without <laughs> using Instagram Your is I does use. It. No, I use. I use. And well, I mean that sometimes happens too. But I use uh, an app called OnlyPult. And only Pult, like catapult, but only Pult, P-U-L-T, allows me to post to Instagram without having the application on my phone. So I'm sure there are other things that allow you to do this, maybe Hootsuite or others, but uh, I've used only Pult, and it's it's really kind of a, it is not a Swiss Army knife. It is for specifically what, what is posting. It? Is it just like Instagram and ASCII? Like you're like scrolling? <laughs> I like it's to- a I yeah, like to think that your uh, your assistant's calling you up and being like, 
Kevin is wearing a red shirt today and Daria seems to be holding their dog, like describing you post by post. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm like, take out the semicolon. Who uses semicolons? No, I uh, I use only Pult. It, it, think of it as a buffer for Instagram specifically. So you can schedule social media posts or post immediately using this application and it posts to your Instagram account for you. So what that allows me to do is I can take a, a photo of something I think is beautiful or useful, put it on Instagram and do so without ever being exposed to my feed in any way. Hmm. So I'm, it is, it is, in other words, it is right only instead of read only. I mean, you could just unfollow everyone too. And then when you go bolt, there's like a blank feed. Yeah. I mean, I could do that, but But then you don't get the DMS and stuff, I guess. But how do you look at your DMS? I don't really use DMS. Yeah. I don't either. Um, yeah, it's just it's just over uh, the volume isn't manageable. So the, the point being with these books is like, look at your track record of reading books. And I remember Tim Urban wrote about this, uh, so the the creator of of Wait But Why, in an amazing piece called The Tail End, which everyone should read. And it talks about how precious time actually is. Everybody listening to this, if you haven't read The Tail End by Tim Urban, read it, reread it. I reread it regularly. And the fact of the matter is like, I don't know, maybe I have a few, a few hundred books left to read, like good ones. So I don't want to be reading stuff, generally speaking, that hasn't stood some test of time, right? Like this guy, Barry Lopez, won the National Book Award. He was nominated for the National Book Award for this book of Wolves and Men. I mean, this this is a very high bar, right? They just published the 25th anniversary edition. It changed how people wrote about nature or how people thought about constructing nature writing and nonfiction, period. Like the guy completely reshaped an entire genre of writing. It's, an, it's incredible. And if you have that high a bar, there are still too many books. So... I'm trying to be much more purposeful about my reading. And that was why in 2020, I had, I'm not reading any books published this year, which I am going to extend for 2021. So I'm not going to read any books published in 2021 either. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, feels good. And once you make the rule, it depersonalizes it. This is really important because it's hard to say no when you're making one-off decisions, right? If somebody comes to you and they're like, hey, can you contribute to my GoFundMe because you know I lost my shoes and I want to buy a nice pair of shoes or whatever, you just get hit up with so much stuff. And if it is a personal no, it's hard for people to receive. If it is a policy and you can point them somewhere, even if you say it's a policy, it often takes the sting out. But I could just point to, if you go to tim.blog forward slash new books, I think it is, like it, it, it's a short URL that takes people directly to that post on the finding single decisions that remove hundreds or thousands of hmm. of decisions, and yeah, there it is. Yeah, so if you if you just go to tim.blog forward slash new books, then it takes you to finding the one decision that removes a hundred decisions. And so if I get hit up via email, via text, via fill in the blank by someone I actually know who wants me to read a book, I'm just like, you know, I wish I could, but I can't. I've set this public policy so I don't have to choose among friends. Boom. And I send a link and that's, that's it. That's the template response. Can I ask and you most, yeah. how you, um, well, 
let me, I'll, I'll tell you why I'm asking this question. I'm asking this question because one of the, as part of the training that I'm doing with, with Henry, who we talked about on a previous podcast, who's a this Zen master that I, I study with. One of the things that I do is when I go for walks in nature and you mentioned enjoying nature is one of the, the big highlights. The easy thing to do is to put on a podcast or an audiobook, right? And on top of that is to set it at two and a half speed so you can get through as fast as possible. My instructions have been to take out my headphones and just treat it as a, as a way to listen, just listen to nature, just like let it all come in and put your focus and attention on the sounds that are happening around you. I found that to be a much more, it's like a, a like a amplifier on top of the already awesome walk. Uh, just this idea of, of, of really being there rather than try and do extra things while you're on that walk. Right. And so my question is, you know, when I've been listening to audiobooks, I've actually said, okay, one X speed, because I really, if I'm going to do a book, I'm going to give it my full attention. Are, are you doing anything like that? Or do you jam through books? Do you read them at night? Like how, how do you consume? Well, so there are a few things I'd love to reflect on that you just said. The, the first, as far as nature goes, I would say that, and I try to think about much like the energy management leading then to time management, I think a lot, as you know, about the the sequencing of things. Like, what is the natural kind of waterfall cascade order in which these things belong? And for me, spending time in nature is about cultivating an, a, a very detailed awareness of nature or acute awareness of nature first and foremost. If I do that, the enjoyment or the the contentment that I feel in nature automatically goes up dramatically. So I, I, I spent, and part of the reason I'm thinking about this so much is I've had a very hard time reacclimating to Austin. Um, and it's not because of just all the swarms of locusts, aka Californians, descending upon this fair city. Although I'm hypocritical to say that, obviously. Uh, it's, it's, it's because it's a city. It's a city. And I spent a lot of time in the wilderness uh, on, a, you know, on a farm. I don't want to mention locations, but for the entire summer. So you know, I spent several months walking through the woods every day where there were black bear and coyotes and so on. And seeing the changes, I, I would walk for hours and I got to recognize these very minor, or I should say minute changes on my walks, I would see which trees changed color first as we got closer to autumn. I would see how tracks presented themselves in certain places at certain times of the day, dependent on weather. And when I came back to Austin, I want to say one, one thing also. One of the ways that I increased my appreciation for what was around me because I think if, if the walk isn't interesting enough for you, you're probably just not interested enough. So I asked, and uh, I'm going to be you know, finding someone to pay to, to help me with this in Austin, uh, found uh, wildlife biologists and specialists, or even people who work at, say, you know, garden shops and things like that, to walk with me through the woods to identify things, to point things out to me. And you know, the recommendation they gave me at one point was start with trees because flowers and wildflowers are very complex. There, there are going to be 
dozens, if not hundreds of different varieties. Start with the trees, because in, in any given location, you might have, at least where I was, let's just call it eight to 12 trees. And if you learn the classifications and how to tell them apart and how to describe the different characteristics that separate them or distinguish them, you're going to be able to identify 90% of the trees that you see. How cool is that? You know, before that point in time, they're just trees. You might identify a maple, let's say, because the leaf looks like the, you know, something you'd see in Canada. Uh, but by and large, it's just trees. It's green stuff that's really high. And after that, uh, you suddenly kind of click the dial a few notches towards high def, and your experience of the walk changes tremendously. So I would occasionally take phone calls when I was walking, but I spent, I would say, at least 70%, 80% of my time listening to bird calls, learning to identify birds. You're uh, a birder is, now. Are you a birder? I'm not a birder. I'm not a birder. It's okay but if there, you it, are. No, no, I'm not a birder. Someone will be able to find this. There is actually an app on Android, sadly not. Last I checked, it wasn't on iOS, that is like Shazam for bird calls. It's amazing. In other words, you can hold your phone up, click a button, and it will identify which bird is calling, which is awesome. Are you, doing, this, thing, out, are you doing Shazam for birds out in the forest? Like no, because I use iOS. I use iOS. So I had to do it the old-fashioned way and like go online and listen to different bird calls and try to compare them. The, <laughs> the, uh, the other thing that I, that I found really fun to do, because not everyone's going to have access to someone who can point out different plants, is to use the Google app to do image searches on different plants. And it is incredibly accurate most of the time. I was stunned. It's so cool. Like just walk around your house, like how many people, and I'm going to plead guilty here, know the names or the types of all the plants they might have in in or around their houses. Very, very few, I would guess, right? And uh, using the Google app and image search, which is very easy, you can pretty quickly identify the vast majority of plants, trees, and so on. It's awesome. I've used it on walks here in Austin to identify trees. I love that. Uh, yeah, so those, those are a few of the ways that I think about nature, of which we are a part, right? It's very easy to feel separate from nature, and I think that feeling of separateness is intensified if you have earbuds in and you're listening to something at rapid speed nature doesn't really rush right so to to meet it at its own cadence without listening to anything but what is around you i I find really therapeutic as far as reading these days i definitely don't rush like if i'm rushing through a book i should generally just drop the book it's not good enough this book like you should be you should only be choosing books that you are sad to see end, mm. right? Like if you're not like, oh man, what am I going to do now that I finish? Oh no, I have to find another book. If you don't have that feeling, then you're not reading the right books. Mm-hmm. I'll give you another example. So this book is one that I was given uh, by my girlfriend for Christmas and it's an awesome book. I hadn't read it in probably 20 years and it's, it's this. It's called Exploring the World of Lucid Dreaming by Stephen LaBerge, L-A-B-E-R-G-E, and Howard Rheingold. This is an incredibly detailed, tactical, how-to book about 
lucid dreaming and developing the uh, different skills related to lucid dreaming. Lucid dreaming, I was really, really dedicated to a lot of these practices towards the very end of high school or certainly the first few years of college. And I actually reached out to Stephen LaBerge or his team when I was in college. I couldn't get a hold of him, but I did get the attention of his team because I said, you may want to look at, if you haven't already, Cooperzine A. Cooperzine A is a supplement. You can get it anywhere, well, certainly online, which acts as an acetylcholinesterase inhibitor. And this, this is just Ooh, a very long-winded way of saying. sounds bad. Well, it, it, I mean, it's, it's not just choline in the brain? Well, it's, it's not turning off acetylcholine production, but it, it has anecdotally the ability to help one induce lucidity. Uh, how and why that happens, I don't know. At the time, I had a very you know, well-developed pet theory for why this, this sort of mechanistically and plausibly why it worked. But the point being that Stephen LaBerge came out of Stanford, lucid dreaming, to define that, is the phenomenon of realizing that you are dreaming when you are dreaming. You effectively wake up in your dream and you're like, holy shit, I'm dreaming. And normally you get excited and then you wake up. Yeah, they call that they call that in Zen, they call that enlightenment, but it's not when you're dreaming. There you go. It's yeah. when you're awake so, and you wake up to the, and you realize yeah. that this is a dream. <laughs> yeah, so you can start with you could start with the lucid dreaming and yeah, see how you exactly. do with that. Uh, this is actually a phenomenon that can be demonstrated in laboratory settings because your eye movements during REM sleep correspond to your eye movements in dreams. So you could hook someone up to, I suppose it would be an EEG, in a sleep lab. Uh, you will know when they are sleeping and in REM states and so on based on brainwave activity. And then if if they have uh, agreed with the experimenter on a predefined set of eye movements, let's just say like right, right, left, right, right, left, or something like that. Oh. When they become lucid in their dream, they could look it, following that pattern and indicate to someone who is in the lab that they are in fact aware they're dreaming. It's or pretty they cool. could just be closing their eyes and doing that. Well, they wouldn't be able to pull that off because, because the, the uh, EEG wouldn't show it, right? That's right. The EEG wouldn't would would just show that they're yeah. being dickheads and trying right. to fool people. <laughs> exactly. uh, but the the lucid dreaming is uh, it it makes you more aware in your normal waking life because you develop the habit of doing what some people might call reality checks, and that is asking yourself the question, am I dreaming or am I awake while you're awake? And, you would, and then you would test it. And the way you would test that, for instance, if you had a book cover like this with text on it, in a dream, you looked at the cover, at the text, you look away, you look back, the text is generally going to change because your brain is producing the entire experience moment by moment. So that would be one test. Be like looking at text, looking away, looking back. Another would be looking at patterns. Like I'm looking at the wall in front of me in my kitchen and the tiles are laid a certain way. If I looked away and looked back at those tiles, they might be running the opposite direction or at a diagonal. Are your dreams that vivid? Like my, my REM dreams are just kind of like, I, I never really believe that they're real. Do you actually like... Well, if you never believe they were real, you would always be lucid. 
Right. So. Right. Uh, but I don't, I don't think like I can, I don't ever remember like picking up a book and being like, Oh, it has text on it. Like that doesn't, I don't get to that high fidelity. Like, do yeah. you, do you, you, get- you, you work on dream recall first. So okay. you would cult, cultivate dream recall and it is your, your grasp on the sort of coattails of details of these dreams is, is so tenuous that you, there are, there's definitely a protocol and an etiquette to maximizing dream recall. If you don't do it immediately upon waking, you know, if you move around, if you brush your teeth, if you go take a piss, like it's gone, all of your dreams are gone. You have to be really methodical and strict about it. Uh, but it is incredible how quickly your dream recall ramps up and you get to the point where you're remembering oftentimes three, four, five dreams a night and taking them down. There are ways to improve that. You can wake up in the middle of the night, stay up for two, three hours, go back to bed. I mean, there are all these different techniques that are outlined in this book that really, really work. So in high school, when I first became reasonably good at this, I'm not going to say great, but I could usually induce lucidity in dreams at least every other night. And I was in my final wrestling season, and I would manifest this guy, John Smith, who was a famous gold medalist and had a particular type of wrestling with low leg attacks. I think he was out of Oklahoma. And I would train with him. I'd never met him, and I never never have met him. Uh, But I would train with him. I'd seen a lot of his video footage, and I would train with him in my dreams in wrestling and found that to carry over into my normal practices. Uh, so there are all sorts of things. If you're, a, let's say you have stage fright, there are all sorts of anecdotes slash case studies of people who will then create inception style, right? They'll, they'll create the environment of performing in front of a crowd. They practice this in their dreams and it gives them an opportunity to rehearse facing their fears, right? So I'm really interested in lucid dreaming. And, uh, you know, there are some commonalities between the the neurological or biochemical responses to REM sleep as compared to the, the, uh, the effects produced by like LSD 25, right? There, there are some really spooky similarities. And so this, this came back to me. This is a book I've, I read many times in, late high school, uh, certainly early college, my own copy, which is covered in highlights is somewhere. And then it was, it was just gifted to me again. So I have many books in my house now that I would willingly read a second time. I think that should be the bar for reading anything once it has to be that good. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, I, I have many books that I've never touched you, you like you must yeah, have, too. but I want to get to, you know, it's just like, I I tend to like clean out all the, cause like, I know what you mean. If if anyone that has a podcast that has more than 10 viewers that you just get books sent to you, like you get on some publisher's yeah. list and all of a sudden like a new oh, book. It's the worst. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. So I, I tend to, to give those mostly away to friends and whatnot. Cool. So, uh, what else are we going to cover today? Uh, there was a couple of things well, I wanted what, to hit. I was, yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd be just, I'd be curious to know what you're, yeah, how you're thinking about 2021 and what kind of resolutions you have, if any, or how you think about planning for the new year. Yeah. I mean, I think there was, there was two things looking, I, I, similar to you in that I, I spent 
you know, a good chunk of time looking back on the year and, and I didn't go through a calendar, but I, I did look at my news resolutions from last year, which were, I failed at all of them. And so I, I just, I, I mean, and I look at what I want to do differently this year. And so I've set up some procedures in place and then there were some things, some wins that I did have mid year, but they weren't resolutions because I didn't want, know we were going to be in COVID. And so, you know, I, I think that COVID, what it did for me is immediately caused me to start drinking more. You know, it was like very easy to finish a bottle of wine with my wife, like, you know, and where you typically be like, oh, we have some leftover from last night. Should we pour a little? It's like, no, we cleared a bottle out, no problem. And then went for a beer or something, you know, it was just like, cause we were like, we're going to die. And it's like, if you're going to die, might as well drink. So I was, I was basically just freaking out there for the first couple months. And you know, that, that kicked off a point to where I got to. And I said, I'm fat. I feel like I've drank too much. And I need to course correct. And so if I'm honest with myself, I, I felt really depressed, you know, not in a clinical way, but in a just, this has really beat me down. I miss my friends. I miss traveling. I miss like, you know, there's things that, and then part of me is like, well, you know, we have clean drinking water, we have food, we have jobs, like life is good. So, but, but I think it, it it's, it's impacted everyone a little bit differently. And what I immediately went to is said, well, how can I stop and cut back on drinking? And then given that I only have so much free time with two little girls, what can I introduce that is new that gives me some relief and brings my spirits back to a, into a positive place? And so I tried a bunch of stuff. You know, I tried, you know, walking through the, the forest because I, I live in Oregon and we, I got a forest in my backyard. Tried sauna, tried cold plunge, meditation, Pilates, uh, working out, lifting weights, like all of those things. And I would do a couple weeks of them and say, okay, which one of these, if you had to like stack rank them, which ones are having the biggest impact on me? Because I can't do them all. Which ones can I do that are having the biggest impact? And without a doubt, I would say the two things are, are walking and, and, and sauna. Those are the two things that that are just so key. And, um, I walk every single day now and it is a, a no phone, no earpods, uh, like AirPods, like kind of walk. And it is, um, it's crazy what 45 minutes in the forest will, will, will get you. And in terms of just like a mood boost, you know, like swinging the arms, moving the legs, like it's, it's fantastic. So, so that's been huge. Also in being totally transparent, I did some couples therapy, which I thought was fantastic. Like, and it's not because I thought I was going to end my marriage. Like I'd never got that crazy, but it's just something, you know, you're cooped up with somebody else with a couple of like little toddlers and it gets chaotic sometimes, you know, and it's like, you're, there's no work escape. Work is in the home. Like, you know, there's no, there's no way to have that natural kind of break that you get. Um, whether it be grabbing a beer with another friend and then coming back to your spouse or like, there's none of that. You're just, on top of each other. And so, you know, we had done couples therapy back before and after we got married is kind of like a, to give us a, a toolkit to deal with issues. Um, and it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. It's every single time I've done it, I've never been pissed that I did it. And, you know, and I've always what learned- What recommendations would you give to people who are listening to this and considering it as an option? What's, any best practices or recommendations for people? 
Well, I would say at, at first I was curious, like, are there any new tech plays that I can get into here? Like these talk spaces and some of these other things that are out there. And I find that those are really kind of like lightweight, not really meant for couples. It was just like, you know, text your therapist. And I was like, I, I don't, I don't need this. So I found someone that I could actually meet with over like a secure zoom type connection. That is a real licensed therapist. Not that they aren't on on that, but a dedicated person to you that's going to give you a full hour, you know, um, it is not, not texting back and forth. And I would say, you know, I have another buddy that did the same thing and he had to get to a second therapist to find the right one. So it's not like just because you find one that you're, you go to and you're like, Oh, this, this isn't what I expected. It doesn't mean the the idea of the practice is wrong. You might just not have the right person. And so we found a fantastic woman that is just really good at driving me back to the source of why am I feeling this way and just opening up the lines of communication to let us and remind us that we're both on the same team. We both want what's best for each other and to support each other and help each other because we're coming from a loving place. But um, sometimes we get caught up in, in other things and other loops and cycles and scorekeeping. I'm a big scorekeeper. Cause I'm, I'm, I've always avoided confrontation. Like my dad was a very verbally aggressive, abusive guy to my mom and had many, many, many good traits. I always like to say that about my dad cause he did, but definitely not teaching me on the relationship side. Fantastic father, horrible husband, confusing for me as all hell, right? <laughs> as a kid, you know, I think that, uh, I tend to avoid confrontation and then just kind of keep track of things. And then I, then I get upset and, and I have something that that's like, I've been all these things, ah, you know, just come out. And so just like trying to address things in more real time has been a big help for me. And yeah, there's been a ton of little things that I picked up, but anyway, I just wanted to tell people out there, if you're going through rough times, cause I hear divorce, d- divorce rates are like through the roof right now. There's like the courts are backlogged. It's, it doesn't mean necessarily that you found the wrong person. You might just need a little help and that's okay. Yeah. I think the real time versus dropping the mother load of like 17 complaints and yes. sort of freeze framed infractions is is really important. <laughs> Would you share uh, that line that you told me that you use that I think is really helpful? Uh which one? Uh, the one oh, that you said. Oh, I think yeah, yeah I, I mean so my, I I owe my girlfriend for all of these cuz certainly I didn't come up with these on my own and I I think she's been she is very conscientious about how she uses wording and language. And you would expect that I would have that as, as a writer or supposedly. But when I get upset, I think I, I, I tend to, to throw haymakers, right? Not literally, but I'm, I'm, less care- <laughs> I'm, less, I'm less careful with my wording when I'm upset. And it, it usually escalates or damages things more than it helps. And I'm not, like, I'm not a yeller. I never yell, but I can be very blunt. And the wording that she used, and I noted it, and I have also used, is really simple. It's, it's just the story I am making up in my head is, right? And then you have that the dishes are left in the sink because you expect me to clean them up. And when I, when I believe that thought, I feel X. Right. Right. So you're not saying it, it disarms it quite a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. It's really, and it's not 
just being nice. I mean, it's being more effective because as soon as someone is put on the defense, it's game over. Like you're just not going to, you're not going to get where you want it to go. And by saying, and this is, this is also something if people wanted to study nonviolent communication, I think Marshall something or other, you can find it. If you just search Marshall nonviolent communication, I can't remember the last name, but there is an audio course that is quite good. And uh, that's one structure. And you would think, as I did, I was like, well, if we're constantly both saying the story I'm making up in my head is that it's going to be so formulaic that we're going to be like, come on, what the fuck, you know, and it's just, it's not going to work. And I have not found that to be the case. It just continues to be really helpful. Even if but, it is. But it's true, yeah. though. That's why. Because it is a story yeah. you're making up in your head, right? I mean, it's always yeah. what it is. Yeah. And having, I don't know a lot about couples therapy. I, we, we have, my girlfriend and I have worked with people before. We're going to likely work with someone again, just because I have phone calls on a weekly basis with someone who kind of looks after me. My girlfriend has phone calls at least once or twice a week with people who look after her, but there is no one currently whose sole priority is to be a sort of midwife, even if male, for the relationship, right? Like the cultivator of the relationship, us together. And you know, my feeling is even if they're not the Jedi master of relationship coaches, just having someone who can create a neutral, safe space where each person can get whatever they need to get off their chest, off their chest, is a huge service so that it doesn't bottle up, bottle up, bottle up, and then explode into this like 20 exhibit assault on someone, which they just can't easily recover from. They can't easily defend themselves against. And it's really jarring ultimately for everyone involved. And it can force people to just kind of throw their hands up and be like, well, fuck, I don't feel like I can win here. Like I just can't win. Right. And I think this has happened a lot during COVID. And I know that my girlfriend and I have, have both felt that way at different points. It's like, well, shit, man, like this is set up in a way like I don't feel like there's any way I can win here. Like there's nothing I can do that is is going to lead to me feeling like I'm being successful. And I think that is much more likely to happen when it's bottled up and given out as like a massive dosage of 10 or 20 things instead of like on a weekly basis having someone else say, well, Tim, like, is there anything else on your mind or anything on your heart that is that you're withholding right now? And then I'm responding to a question as opposed to like snapping over something stupid and then letting all this stuff fly out of my face. That's great. Yeah. I think that the, the thing that she's helped me with that I forgot to mention is that really just identify who the cast of characters are in your head and how they react to certain situations, because we all have triggers. We all have these little rough patches that if, if you just poke the right way, it's going to, it's going to put you in uh, an angry or upset or frightened or scared state. And, you know, I certainly have those as well. And so I can come at something defensively or offensively from a place that is one of these cast of characters that is taken over my, my brain at that moment. And when you can name them, define them, their wants, their needs, their fears, their hopes, you can say, oh, that's so-and-so appearing that has a fear of this. 
Yeah. And she is triggering that right now. And so just, just that bringing awareness to that, just like if you can catch yourself a little bit, it just, not that it makes it go away, but you're like, oh, okay, here's who's making an appearance. I know how to deescalate this person, this, this type of my personality a little bit better than before. Yeah, totally. And have a rational conversation where you actually have an outcome that is one that is that puts that person away for good, right? Or at least for that that time. So yeah, definitely. There's something. There's something. It's 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 not helpful for everyone, and there are different formats for it. Some of it I've found very clunky. Some of it I've found, depending on the facilitator, quite helpful for couples. And that is Imago therapy. I M A G O. People can look it up and very quickly to decide whether it's helpful or not. But it it does help you to convey in a non-violent, non-aggressive way uh, some of the parts work that you're referring to that certainly for my girlfriend and I were was very impactful. Kevin, if you had to choose a word for 2021 for you, like a theme. Patience. Patience. Yes. Okay. It's something I'm really trying to cultivate. I feel it's, like you're uh, a pretty patient guy. Are you an impatient guy? Well, I mean, I just think about what we have ahead of us in terms of vaccines that who knows when we're going to get them. Um, you know, the crazy scariness of potential mutations of a virus, uh, new incoming administration, the, all the, ang- the anxiety and unrest out in the streets. Like there's a lot of things where I just like, I'm very anxious. And so I want things to be resolved and I, I'm, a, I'm a problem solver. And it's like, I just need to have a little bit more patience, just like slow down and just let things unfold the way they're going to unfold and stop trying to, to, to project my mind into the future, into some crazy scenario, you know? Yeah. That's a, that's a big one for me. And the other thing for 2021 is, is just really asking myself like the, for the drinking thing that I've, I've been really, really good lately. This is COVID drinking. So it's like, you know, I'm not going crazy, but like it's more than I'd like to drink. So our new kind of, well, my new kind of um, framework that I've put together for myself. Blackouts only on Tuesdays. Tuesdays, no less than 10. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, on, on, uh, yeah, no. So what I'm doing is no more than two. I have found that anything above and beyond two drinks just does not serve me well. I'm too old. I'd wake up like hot in the middle of the night for no reason. It's the worst. Sweating. So bad. Like, like hot red white wine sweats, you know? <laughs> And, and then the other thing is never, never two nights in a row. Hmm, so I may say one. to myself, I may be on night number two and I say, you know, like, or I want to drink the second night. And I just tell myself like, can you go one day? Oh, of course I can. And then you go one day and it turns out the next day you don't want to drink. Yeah. So then it's two nights in a row. So it's funny how just separating drinks by a night will help a ton. And then the, the last thing, and I think this is the most important and the one I don't have a good answer for, but I'm working on, this is part of my, Zen friend who's coaching me on some of this stuff is really asking yourself when you're having a drink, like really who is getting nourished right now? Like it's a good, that's a good one. It's a really good one because what's happening. What part of me is, is there something that, cause there's, there's something inside that's getting nourished and just trying to like, and I, I don't have an answer for that yet, but it's, it's a deep one to sit with, you know? Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. So question for you, when you look at your graph of drink consumption, as it goes down, is your consumption of edible gummies going through the roof? 
No, it, you know, although I will tell you, I did try something new called CBN. Have you heard of this? Uh, CBN, I, I, I have heard of actually uh, from a grower, uh, but I've never consumed. So there's a um, here. You should in, describe in, describe it for folks. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's um, a, a gummy manufacturer out here, and by the way. Tim is saying this, but you know, I am not like, I'm not a big user of gummies. Like I'm not, Oh, I'm just fucking with you, but I do find I can, when, when you have had gummies, it is exceptionally clear in our text messages. (laughs) That's probably accurate. There's probably pictures of me eating pizza. Fucking typing with your elbows. Yeah, it's (laughs) great. Yeah. Yeah, So basically uh, on the gummy side, there's one, a company called wild W Y L D. Um, I, they make fantastic. Wait, like, W-Y-L-D? Y-L-D, yeah. And so uh, they, I think they have them all on the West Coast and they're, they're starting to spread all over the place, but they do a CBN. It's not really psychoactive, but it really makes you sleep. Like it is, I'm telling you, it's the closest thing I've had to like, I don't know, it just feels like you're, you, you took like a sleeping pill or something. Like I take it and it does have a little bit of THC in there. Like they do put some with it but wild makes a sleeping gummy. So, you know, for me drinks, it's like, especially when, I mean, God, man, the news over the last few weeks and months, it's just been insane. So when you're stressed out, um, and that's the nice thing about a glass of wine that, but a gummy with, with either CBD or CBN, but CBN more so these days, fantastic sleep with it. And I wear the aura ring and I just got the, the Fitbit to try out the new sleep data on here. And, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm tracking yeah, all this you, stuff to see how, see how it's doing. If you have more than two drinks, you see it so clearly in your aura data. It is irrefutable. It's just, it turns your sleep into such garbage. It's unreal. Yeah. Well, resting heart yeah. rate goes up by 10 points uh, and it's elevated all throughout the night. HRV goes down. Like there's just so many bad things that happen. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, uh, in terms of like awesome little finds that have been helping us get through these times, this right here, I'm going to send you some of this, Tim. You got to try this. All right. What is it? So this is Hinoki wood in here. Okay. And so Hinoki wood is one of the seven sacred trees of Japan. And when they talk about all the health benefits that come from forest bathing in Japan, because, you know, uh, walking in the forest can be prescribed out there from a physician. It's typically attributed to a lot of the fragrance from Hinoki. And this is Hinoki oil <laughs> right here. I cool. found a fantastic manufacturer in Japan of high quality, like cold pressed Hinoki oil. And I will tell you what it is. I have zero. I, I don't know any of these people. They're all in Japan. Uh, it is Hinoki uh, lab.com. So H I N O K I lab.com. These oils, they smell so, I mean, you've been to like a Japanese like proper bathhouse where they have like the essential oils and all this is the stuff's gold. Oh, and I put it in the sauna too. So you can put it in some water and then like pour it over the coals in the sauna. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's a type of cypress. It's a yeah. beautiful, beautiful tree, really dense foliage. Cool. Yeah, I, I planted it. a few of them here in my yard actually. Oh, no kidding. So, yeah. So I got some, I, I, I had some, uh, brought in. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Oh, I love it. It's good to be Kevin Not Rose. from Japan. No, no <laughs> Okay, well, I you have to qualify. <laughs> you say no, you brought them no. in. <laughs> like, I, I, I flew them via freight from Japan. I, hey, man, you know, all that, not, all, the, all those crypto, all that crypto gold, I don't know yeah, where exactly. it goes. 
<laughs> I can almost 100% guarantee you that you have more crypto than I do. So if you're looking well, to ransack. Place, oh, Jesus Christ. It's, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. Well, that's not saying much because you kind of de- divested yourself of everything. Yeah. Or a lot yeah, of things. For sure. I'm, I'm definitely more, I'm, I'm scared the markets are just like super overvalued right now. So I, I tend to go safer. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think there's, there's a good, uh, good argument to be made for that. If I were to pick a word for 2021, yeah, what is it? Right this moment, it would be mischievous. I think that I've taken a lot of things and myself way too seriously in 2020. And I think I want to bring more coyote energy and kind of prankster mischievousness into 2021. Interesting. I, so what does that yeah. look like in you? Like, no. like, like no mask wearing kind of thing or no, no, that's just being a <laughs> dick face. I don't want to do that. No, a coyote. It's, it's joking. more, yeah, it's more, I think a playfulness and a irreverence, not taking things too seriously. You know, I'll give you an example. I, I just the other day threw up, I love the original Willy Wonka movie with Gene Wilder and so I threw up this animated GIF that uh, is Gene Wilder sort of eating candy, saying, the suspense is terrible. I hope it'll last. And I just threw that up, and it was hilarious to see how people responded. And uh, because it's, it's so kind of oblique and vague that it acts as a Rorschach test for wait a second. Ta- did you throw this up like during the Trump like capital takeover today? I no no. I threw I threw it up right afterwards. Oh jeez, fuel was, in the fire, dude. Well, you say ter- yes. I mean, you say terrible timing. I think that I want to cultivate a insensitivity to personality by consensus. What I mean, what I mean by that is. If you look at a lot of people, I'm not going to name names, but Man- if you look, yeah, I, no, yeah. no, I'm not going to name manicured, names, no manicured like feeds and stuff. Well, you just look at personalities online over time who spend a lot of time on social, and they become caricatures of themselves because they have certain behaviors rewarded, certain behaviors punished, certain behaviors left unapplauded, and they start to warp and bend their behavior to fit the most applause and they turn into these kind of creepy caricatures i think that that (laughs) ends up inevitably bleeding over into their real lives right i mean they're they're off-screen lives and i think that's really something i want to be hyper aware of which is why i don't have the social on the phone I'm using these like workarounds, like only Paul to post stuff. And I want to kind of hold up a mirror that allows people to look at their own reactions also, right? So I think that a lot of what I'll put up in 2021 will be Rorschach tests. And for people who don't know that, those are the ink blot tests where they would put blots of ink, fold a piece of paper, show it to someone and say, what do you see? And... You know, they might see a murderer, they might see a butterfly, they might be something else, and then that is used as kind of a jumping off point for psychoanalysis. And that's not going to be everything I put up, but I just think that 
life is too short to take yourself too seriously. And so first and foremost, it's for me. Uh, but doing things that don't seem to have a point, doing things that are beautiful just because I think they're beautiful, they don't need to have some targeted outcome ROI or fill in the blank, right? And just to kind of loosen my grip on whatever I think my identity is that's been constructed over such a long period of time. And let's not kid ourselves. Like identity can be revealed, but it's largely constructed, right? And it's just, you. I think we get so attached to our labels of what we are and what we aren't, what we do and what we don't do, that it's, a, it's just a, I think it's a, very socially reinforced trap that kind of constrains your awareness and sensitivity and openness to the world. So yeah, more coyote. That's good. I mean, the world needs, I think the problem that we've fallen into is social media. And part of the reason why I don't like having an account there is it just becomes, it makes me sad in some sense in that I see it's always the best version of someone's self. Like there's never any if he feels very manufactured oftentimes and it's, it's like, it doesn't feel authentic in the way that it's always about good times. There's never any, like any, I guess there has been more lately with some of the, like, the protests and some of the stuff that's come out on there. But I mean, people, myself included tend to put just the best version of yourself on there versus just letting it all hang out, which I guess is what kind of what you're saying in a sense that you're, you're just going to have more fun with it than just trying to create the Tim Ferriss image up on, on social media. Yeah. And you know, I don't feel like I've done too much of that. I mean, I, I do, I've, I very deliberately put out stuff that is true to me that I think could irritate some percentage of my followers just because I want to have some countervailing force against becoming this like dancing sock puppet on the internet. I do that to not become too attached to social feedback, but you know, not to turn this into a discussion of, you know, the social dilemma, but if you are constantly exposed to these technologies, like you are completely outgunned. You're just, you're completely outgunned by engineers and neuroscientists and research and development teams who have, for all intents and purposes, infinite resources to turn you into a so little, just a little rat in a Skinner box. You, well, yeah, I want to keep... I, I yeah. love that Like the, the AI is going to look at your feed and be like, I think Tim would like this. And they're like, oh shit, he posted a... A yellow pony. What, what the hell does he like now? <laughs> oh, damn it. Yeah. Like you're really keeping them on their yeah. toes. Well, I want to keep myself guessing too, right? Like I, yeah. I, I don't, I, I love follow, that dude. Yeah. Follow less of a script. And you've always uh, been good at that though. You've always been yeah. like every, like one in every 10 of your Instagram posts, everyone's like, what the hell is he? Why is yeah. there a picture of that? Like it's, yeah. it's not, it's clearly not that manufactured feed, which I've always appreciated. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, what was it? I can't remember. Well, maybe we, I don't even remember what it was, but I, <laughs> I, back when we were both on, uh, the apps, I remember, uh, one of yours was like, and deleting in three, two, one. Right. Like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you, to your, to your credit, sometimes when I get a little far afield, you're like, oh, I think you should probably delete that. And I'll get a text from you, which I appreciate. 
<laughs> well, I can just tell. Well, speaking of like you said about my gummies, I can tell when you're a little ham too. Every once in a while, one will sneak out there. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. It's dangerous. Dangerous to drink and uh, to drink and post. That's a dangerous yeah. habit. <laughs> uh, well, it's good to see you, man. It's been too yeah. long. Good to see you too. Last little thing. I know we always like to throw a bunch of nuggets out there for people to to check out. Um, I, I want to recommend a documentary since we have still so much time and months ahead of us at home. My octopus teacher, I oh, thought great, was, great. was great. Yes. Second that. Yeah. Cool. Fantastic. Beautifully shot. Netflix. What else you got? I liked uh, the last dance, the Michael Jordan series. It's, I know it's a little bit old now, but it was fantastic. Oh, timeless though. Oh yeah. my God. If you're like, yeah, I'm a competitor. Like, okay, watch that. Watch that yeah, series. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, one of the best miniseries I've seen in years. If you want another documentary, which is actually very uplifting, doesn't sound uplifting based on the name, but it's called Crip Camp. And it's it, it begins with the story of a summer camp for crippled, I guess, young adults. And one, I want to say the Grand Jury Award at Sundance a year or two ago. And it's it's really outstanding. So that, awesome. that's one I would recommend, Crip Camp. Also, tends it just puts a lot in perspective also. So, so I, I really enjoyed that. Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia, or Pharmacopoeia, just has a season three coming out now. For those who don't know, Hamilton Morris, he's been on my podcast. Exceptional biochemist, really good at synthesizing all sorts of things. Also a very good storyteller and a hilarious, hilarious character unlike any other, also happens to be the son of Errol Morris of Fog of War fame. And he's, he's a really, really good narrator and editor of the series called Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia, which you can find on Amazon Prime. You can find it on, I want to say, Vice. And season three just came out. And in each episode, he describes the the history of the culture and the biochemistry of a psychoactive drug. So it could be, uh, it could cool. be, it could be meth. It could be angel dust. It could be LSD. It could be five uh, meo DMT, ketamine, ibogaine, and uh, in each episode, he also then consumes or administers each of these drugs to himself or has them administered. Oh my god and records the entire experience and describes the entire experience. So it's a, it's a really well done series. And that is crazy. We'll certainly also put some fear of God and healthy respect into the conversations around these compounds too. Not everything turns out well. And (laughs) although he's usually fine, he's very seasoned, but, uh, there are also other people who agree to have their experiences filmed and they don't always turn out fantastically well. That Ibogaine stuff, man, that scares me. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you should be very, 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 very exceptionally cautious with Ibogaine and Iboga. It's one of the few psychedelics that can kill you with cardiac complications. So that, that is definitely, as far as I'm concerned, personally off menu, although it does have some incredible possible applications to opioid dependence and addiction. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. Yeah, there's if you want to see, there's a documentary called Dosed, D-O-S-E-D. I saw early versions of it. 
which I want to say came out in the last six to nine months, which does a good uh, showcase uh, in a sense or uh, provides an exploration of specifically opioid addiction and possible intervention with uh, psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, things of, uh, along those lines. And Ibogaine, or Iboga, I'm not sure which they used. Iboga would be the root, I want to say the root bark itself. Ibogaine would be the isolated alkaloid uh, or synthesized, depending on how they approach it. So Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia is worth a gander if you're interested in such things. Uh, cool. Anything else? I think that's it. That's all that I have. Oh, no, I, that, I have one more. Uh, have you seen the new jazz movie, the cartoon? Ah, oh, what am I Jazz by? movie? No, you know what I'm talking about? The cartoon that everyone's talking about. Jazz uh, movie. I have no idea what you're talking about. Hold on. <laughs> you have to cut out the extra space on this, on the audio side. Hold oh, no, on. I want it to be as awkward as possible. No. <laughs> Jazz, cartoon, <laughs> Pixar. Um, uh, Soul. Soul, yes. Excellent. Yes, I, I wholeheartedly recommend people check that out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that's really a good. must. It's fantastic. I twisted my friend's arm into signing up for Disney Plus to watch Soul because it's the only place that I believe you can watch it. That's right. And, and we watched it, and then I ended up watching The Mandalorian. And I was like, you know, if I had had the forethought to just use Disney Plus, I absolutely would have invested in Disney when it got smashed post-COVID. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, talk it's, about the franchises uh, they own. It's yeah, just Mar insanity. Marvel, Nat Geo, Pixar. I mean, Star Wars. The lineup is just absurd. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Also a lot of fun. Yeah. Mandalorian, John Favreau, congratulations. Everybody involved. Congratulations. Fantastic show. Yeah, yeah, that's a great show. And let's see. I'll also mention, if you're looking for a healthy snack, I'll mention a company that, that I'm involved with just because I love their stuff and have had a chance to spend time with the co-founders who are husband and wife, Jake and uh, Ku'ulani Muse in Hawaii, who run Maui Nui Venison. So if oh, you're dude, looking I, thank you yeah. for the box, by the way. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, Tim Tim sent me a box and I have been, I highly recommend uh, the, uh, the jerky. It's fantastic. Uh, the, Not yeah, the dog the, jerky. To yeah. Toaster likes the dog jerky. I almost, <laughs> almost broke into that because it was came with everything else. And I just saw jerky and I almost went yeah. for it and it yeah. looks good enough to eat. But the dog, the do. dog treats are Molly's favorite. The human jerky, the bars and yeah. everything are fantastic. And the leg medallions are just incredible. So it's- I haven't eaten that yet, but I'm going to. Yeah. How's the yeah. bone broth, by the way? Because I haven't tried it yet. Bone broth is exceptional. It's extremely high protein and it's all outstanding. I mean, this is the, as far as I'm concerned, and as far as I can tell, the most nutrient dense meat you can possibly imagine. It is all wild harvested. Although it's for those people who might be worried about game harvesting on public lands, it's all done on private lands on these large ranches because axis deer in Hawaii are massively damaging as an invasive species. And they actually not just destroy the vegetation where it looks so bad that people think it's caused by wildfires in mean, that amount of destruction. But wow. that that leads to erosion and runoff that also damages the the coral reef and the marine life on the Hawaiian Islands. And um, this is specifically Maui. So the, the ecological cost is huge. And so they work with uh, USDA inspectors. They hunt at night 
at long range with rifles. They only take headshots to make the kill as stress-free as possible for the animals. The entire operation is like something out of special operations. It's unbelievable. It sounds like it. They're like night vision yeah. snipers with headshots. Yeah, they, yeah, they use infrared cameras. And have you use, hunted them? I have. I didn't. Oh, uh, so you went out there. I did. Yeah, I hunted with bow, also with rifle. But I feel, and I don't. I don't hunt often. But I, I think it is a profoundly, profoundly impactful way to reconnect with food. Oh, if, dude, if you kill an yeah. animal and you, or sorry, if you eat an animal, but you won't kill it, you're yeah. way disconnected from nature. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I've, I've always told myself I've never killed a cow, but like I do eat cow. So if I, if, if there was a way that I could do it in a humane fashion at, at a place that like I would, I would probably have to do it just because I'd be, I feel like a hypocrite otherwise. Oh, you shouldn't have said that. I'm going to find you a cow. <laughs> I don't want to do it. I, I, I don't really want to do it at all, but I'm just saying that like, I just, I, I, I don't know. Do you know what I'm talking about? I just, I would feel yeah. awkward saying I'm willing to eat you at someone else's hand, but not, yeah. not be willing to do it myself. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, you know, hunting's not for everybody. I was, I was strongly, strongly militantly anti hunter and hunting up until I worked on the four hour chef. And I decided for a portion of it that I wanted to do my best to learn to hunt and forage to consume only those things that I procured myself and had the opportunity while doing that deep dive to spend time with really hyper-intelligent, responsible hunters like Stephen Ranella, who's written books on the American bison. He's written all sorts of incredible books on multiple topics to see that it, it, as far as I'm concerned, can be approached in an extremely responsible, extremely eco-aware and thoughtful, conscientious manner. Uh, it, it really can. So, you know, the meat that I have here and the meat that I ate when I was, when I was hunting in Hawaii was from what we got that day. Right. Yeah. And, it, and I feel very good about that. I feel yeah, very I mean, good that's, about it. That's the, that's the, the evil side of hunting obviously is both on the, the species that, that are in low numbers, which obviously is just a massive no, no. And then also for the trophy of it, you know, like, like I, I, I really respect the people that have learned how to do the full, you know, nose to tail processing of an animal and make use of, of everything they possibly can. It's, it's really, it's really quite cool. Yeah. So, so people interested, check out the video on Maui, Venison.com. The video is incredibly well done. It's done with a award-winning cinematographer, uh, and it shows the kind of ethos and mission and how they approach all this stuff. It's incredible. Uh, so Maui, M-A-U-I, Nui, N-U-I, venison.com, and people can check it out. It is it is the startup, and, and you know, Kevin, I've made basically no direct startup investments in the last handful of years, and I've been helping these guys. It's a very tough business. It's the best product in the world, as far as I'm concerned. And I, I am so enamored of this company and the family and the people behind it and the ethos. It's just like, it checks all the boxes for me. So that's awesome. Hope people your check it out. Your food investing is hilarious to me, by the way, because 
Like I would say on tech, fantastic track record. Yeah. Then, then the cricket protein, remember you did yeah. those bars? Yeah. But the, the funny thing about that is then they went and started a new company. Yeah. That's killing it. Magic. That Spoon. is killing it. Magic Spoon yeah. is killing it. And, yeah. and you, yeah, yeah. you unfortunately missed out on that one. I did. I did miss, but you know, it's, it's, uh, I'm doing okay with food, man. I'm doing actually uh, really. I, that's the only really two well. investments I know you have. So maybe you have a handful well, more. Than well, that. Blue Bottle did fine oh, for both go. of us, right? right? Blue Blue Bottle did fantastically well, and Hugh, the chocolate makers, were just acquired. I think the announcement was last week by Mondelez, and I was an advisor to. Uh, well, I suppose I still am an advisor to Hugh. So that was also uh, oh, that's awesome. a, a really uh, fantastic. I'm just Exit. giving you shit. I mean, like literally 90% of the deals that we do like go to zero, then yeah, that's totally, totally fine. That's the name of the game on, on the early stage investing. Yeah. But um, if, I could, I will, if I could choose one that I really want to not just survive, but thrive, like Maui Nui would be at the very top of the list just because the, the sort of benefits to community and ecology and like the way that they're walking the talk in a beautiful philosophical sense is just... It's rare. It's super, super rare. So that's awesome. I will say that um, in with the product that I have tried so far, I haven't tried it all. If you're scared of the idea of venison, you shouldn't be because it's very damn tasty jerky. Like you would, yeah. you would be. It's not gamey at all. Really surprised. It's not gamey at all. Um, and then I will say, magic spoon for people that are like old school cereal, like Fruity Loops, but want a keto friendly snack. Do you say Fruity Loops, you ninety year old? No, they have like Fruity Loops, like flavor Fruit type Loops. cereal. Fruit Is Loops. It fruity? <laughs> oh, sorry. You know what? Fruity Fruity Loops was the DJ software. Do you remember that? It was how you can make. It was how you made loops. It was something like okay. that. I got it. Yeah. They, so Magic Spoon. I mean, I, I have an entire pantry full of their stuff, and I'm I'm really thrilled for the founders. They've done an extremely good job of making a great product. So yeah, if you if you liked Cocoa Puffs, Fruit Loops, these types of cereals as a kid, you can have cereal that tastes very much the same. That is basically zero carb, super low net carb, with high protein. And enjoy it with your real milk or fake milk of choice. And yeah. it, it's fantastic. My favorite is the chocolate. I, I really like the chocolate flavor. The cocoa, yeah, the cho- I guess. They had one too that was like a cinnamon one that was quite good. Um, anyway, yeah, good stuff. Cool. Magic spoon. Coolio, coolio, man. Well, uh, do you want to tell people where they can find you? Yeah, I mean, I, eventually this year, I'm going to start up on the Instagram again. That's probably the best place. I'm just at Kevin Rose. You can find me there. And I also have a, a podcast that I put out one episode about every three months. <laughs> it's not that regular, but I do have really good guests. I just had you have some uh, great ones. I had Andy Ratcliffe on most recently, who's um, founder of Benchmark um, and also Wealthfront. Uh, Benchmark Capital being one of the most successful uh, venture capital firms of all time. Um, and fantastic interview about the importance of a, a diversification and yeah, just like it's, it, he's a brilliant, brilliant man. Have you ever had Andy on your show? You know, I have, but I had it via Mike Maple's show and he did uh, an episode where Andy was featured. And so we published that audio on my podcast. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Smart guy. Extremely smart guy. I wish he would write a book, man. He's one of those guys you could just sit down and talk to and he, everything that you throw at him, he has a different take on. And most of the time he's right. And you're yeah. just like, this needs to be some, like, you know how Ray Dalio put out his principles book? 
Like yeah. the, Andy needs his version of that. You know, it's like, yeah. well, so, one could I, dream. Bet, I tried I to bet. talk him into it. He wouldn't do it. He said he doesn't want to do books. it. Books are a pain in the ass, but he could get yeah. a ghostwriter slash collaborator. And that person would just interview him like a few hours a day for a week straight. And then they would have all they needed. So there we go. Andy, if you're listening, make it happen. All right, Kev, Kev. Well, it's uh, lovely to see you. And, yeah, good to uh, see you as well. Let's hang in in person this year, man. Let's make yeah, it happen. Let's, let's make it work. Long road trip. I'll get in my armored Marauder vehicle and make my way across country to visit you in the forest. Maybe that's the next move. Do some so. forest bathing together. <laughs> <laughs> it just means sounds, walking in the forest. So, sounds, mean, sounds exotic and erotic. I can't wait. I mean, we've uh, done some of that in Japan. That's true. This we need true. To, we, that, we need to get back to Japan. That would be oh, fun. Oh, man. Well, step by step. Let's figure out domestic travel first, and then we can yeah. figure out Japan. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> All <Absolutely>. right. Natsukashi <laughs> na. Okay, man. Well, to be continued, and uh, much love to you and the family, my man. Same to you, and uh, everyone out there, please stay safe and healthy and take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Hey guys, this is Tim again. Just a few more things before you take off. Number one, this is Five Bullet Friday. Do you want to get a short email from me? And would you enjoy getting a short email from me every Friday that provides a little morsel of fun before the weekend? And Five Bullet Friday is a very short email where I share the coolest things I've found or that I've been pondering over the week. That could include favorite new albums that I've discovered. It could include gizmos and gadgets and all sorts of weird shit that I've somehow dug up in the uh, the world of the esoteric as I do. It could include favorite articles that I've read and that I've shared with my close friends, for instance. And it's very short. It's just a little tiny bite of goodness before you head off for the weekend. So if you want to receive that, check it out. Just go to fourhourworkweek.com. That's fourhourworkweek.com all spelled out and just drop in your email and you will get the very next one. And if you sign up, I hope you enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. When you're running your own business, it's easy to get weighed down by work that doesn't get you paid. That's why I love FreshBooks and have been recommending them for years on this podcast. It's an all-in-one accounting and invoicing solution built for small business owners like you. I've pulled tons and tons of my listeners and readers who have brought up FreshBooks over and over again, and you guys have better things to do, so do I, than get caught up in admin work. Whether you're a podcaster or a creative agency, you can choose a plan that's right for you. FreshBooks has been used by more than 24 million people, and it can save you more than 11 hours a week by automating invoices, expense tracking, online payments, and so much more. Easy to understand reports and an intuitive dashboard let you know at a glance where your business stands. You can create, customize, and send branded and professional looking invoices in about 30 seconds. You can also avoid that awkward exchange with your clients about overdue payments. FreshBooks automates sending late payment email reminders and allows you to send a customized message on your behalf. FreshBooks is a simple and intuitive tool for small business owners. But if you ever need a bit of help wrapping your head around something, they have an award-winning Toronto-based support team who are always happy to help. So try FreshBooks free for 30 days, no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash Tim and enter Tim Ferriss in the how did you hear about us section. That's freshbooks.com slash Tim and enter my name, Tim Ferriss, two R's, two S's in the how did you hear about us section one more time. That is freshbooks.com slash Tim. This episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon is a brand new cereal 
that I eat just about every day that is low-carb, high-protein, and zero sugar. I just ate a huge bowl of their cocoa flavor about an hour ago after a short workout. Magic Spoon Cereal has received a lot of attention since launching last year. Time Magazine included it in their list of best inventions of 2019, and Forbes called it the future of cereal. It tastes just like your favorite sugary cereal from childhood, remember that? But it's actually good for you. Each serving has 11 grams of protein, 3 grams of net carbs, 0 grams of sugar, and only 110 calories. It's also gluten-free, grain-free, keto-friendly, soy-free, and GMO-free. All the things. It's delicious. And I don't say that lightly because most of this healthy version of X stuff is not delicious. But these guys really nail it. Magic Spoon has nailed it. It comes in your favorite traditional cereal flavors like cocoa, frosted, and blueberry. You can try them all by grabbing a variety pack at magicspoon.com slash Tim. Or you can just grab a box or a bunch of boxes. I'm going to order some more today of the cocoa, which is my personal favorite. But there's a new contender for favorite flavor because they just launched two limited edition flavors, honey nut and peanut butter, which are delicious. I am a sucker for peanut butter and uh, it is outstanding. So I think cocoa and peanut butter are my two new favorite flavors. And fun fact, my friends are also obsessed with Magic Spoon, one of the podcast's most popular guests, Dr. Peter Tia routinely crushes six to seven servings at a time. That's a lot. With no glycemic response. He's looked at this with a glucometer. He likes it so much he invested. Other friends, two very fine gentlemen and also past podcast guests, Kevin Rose and Ryan Holiday, also invested. So check it out. See what the buzz is about. Go to magicspoon.com slash Tim and grab a variety pack or cocoa, which is my favorite, or anything else. But see what strikes your fancy. Why not? Try a variety pack. And be sure to use code TIM at checkout. My listeners, that's you. Get free shipping and a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you're not a fan, if you don't love it, they'll give you a full refund, no questions asked. Again, check it out. Magicspoon.com forward slash Tim. That's magicspoon.com forward slash Tim. Take a look. 